Serum Visions is a Magic the Gathering podcast about iterative brewing. Each episode, we work on a project, a deck, strategy, or archetype that we think has room for exploration and brew to the fringes of competitive deck building. In this episode, we see how things have been going, iterating with the Grinding Station, Metalwork Colossus, Mystic Forge shell. We'll take a sneak peek and discuss some upcoming Strixhaven cards before focusing our sights on an old mentor. Is the time finally right for the 3-mana 2-2 to shine? Have a sip of your Blink Moth tonic and open your third eye. This is Serious Visions. Welcome to episode 15 of the Serum Visions podcast. Coming to you from the graveyard after being milled by Emery, I am one of your hosts, Brian Madden. Joining me is a man who has been called the darkest confidant a person can have, Arun Singh. How are you, Arun? You know, I'm doing pretty well. Once again, uh, spring is in the air. Portland is getting beautiful weather. You know, it's always nice when the weather gets really good. You go outside to enjoy it and you just see the streets are bustling. You know, everyone wearing their masks, of course. But it's nice to see that, you know, when I want to or when we, when we want to enjoy the weather, that everyone else is enjoying it too. You know, lots of people walking their dogs. And yeah, you know, I'm just a big fan of spring and summer weather, not a fan of winter weather. So any, you know, any more sunlight, any nice days, great weather for hiking. The new growth when you go hiking is just this beautiful light, light lime green. It's yeah, just very nice. And this is one of my favorite seasons of the year. So overall doing quite well. That's awesome. Um, all of that, though, leads me to believe that you may not be the darkest confidant a person can have. Is that was that where was I lied to? Um, uh, the only thing I can say on that is uh, I do subscribe to the the motto of greatness at any cost. Oh, okay, okay. Also joining us is the iceberg that sunk the Titanic, a man as large as life itself and twice as cold. Zach Ryle, how are you, Zach? Oh, I'm doing all right. We uh, we had a really good uh, couple leagues with Iceberg Control, uh, netting me a total uh, win rate of 50% over the last uh, week or so, so that's <laughs> super exciting for anyone who doesn't know that archetype black, blue, red, and green pile of value is uh, in the modern format is one of my favorite decks that I've ever played. Um, my most successful uh, online result ever was with that deck, and uh, it, it's been uh, there was a good excuse to revitalize the archetype uh, this week with someone five owing with a, a deck list that was clearly inferior to my superior version. So check out my YouTube and uh, Twitch, you know, uh, plug plug. Go check out my awesome version of that deck with its sick 50% win rate. I mean, it just doesn't get better than that as far as I can tell. Hey, you're only 5% away from getting the deck banned. So, you know, almost there. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually going to say, so with a 50% win rate, you're telling me you've invented Jund. Yeah, <laughs> it's basically what it is. It's it's uh, Jund with a bunch of blue cards shoved into it for no particular reason other than to get us hosed by Blood Moon even worse. Um which, which there has been uh, more blood moons kicking around uh, that I that I've noticed in a long time. Yeah, what? 
Why can't we just have Astrolabe back? Like I know. We're, I know. we're still playing the four-color piles. Just give it back to no us. No way. Just give, give, it back. give us Opal instead. You know, I'm, I'm fine with Astrolabe being gone. Opal, though. It was Astro, like, yeah. Honestly, I'm just a bit of a tangent, but I do feel that Opal would be slightly busted, but relatively safe. Like, it, it's, you know, sometimes in, when I want to play Underworld Breach, I'm thinking, like, I would have to jump through a lot of hoops in order to win with Mox Opal right now, but because this is an Amber, I can do it. You know, like, sometimes Amber seems better than Opal in the Breach deck. I'm sure that, you know, like, there'll be many cases where that's not, but I don't think it'd be super easy without Astrolabe, because now you have to really fill your deck with fluff. You know, like, if you're for Amber, for Opal, you know, that's eight, <laughs> that's eight cards that are you never want to draw two of that you're running four of. Yeah, this is, you know, this this has um, come up a lot for me, I don't know, all the time. P trying to explain to people, like, I know that you think that artifact decks are busted, but artifact decks are only busted when they have their opal starts. In, like, all other scenarios, if you don't draw that opal or you don't get that speedy start, you're basically playing with a bunch of garbage cards. Yeah, they're pretty and I think, medium. Yeah, I've tried to point this out to people, you know... Look at the current artifact decks. None of them are doing well. The fact that you can remove a single card and suddenly nobody wants to play any of the others is a pretty good indicator that they were always bad to begin with. And, uh, you know, that is a deck building cost. Yes, I realize when you put everything together and the synergies come together, it's pretty busted. But, you know, when you have a linchpin card like that, I, I don't know. I don't feel like that's really the end of the world. I mean, I, I still just have the biggest beef with them having banned Uro because it was such an unbelievably fair card that, like, caused, I want to say, interesting deck building. Maybe that's not true. And <laughs> maybe maybe there were a lot of cases in which it, it very much um, sort of uh, streamlined or homogenized your gameplay patterns into, well, I guess I'm getting Uro back because that's the only thing worth doing. Um, but I still think without Mystic Sanctuary, those those decks would not have had the same consistency and the same um, feeling from other people that they were always doing the same thing. They were always rinse and repeating the same play patterns. It would have been an easier archetype to to hate on um, without that. But just like um, as we were talking about Mox Opal, just like looking at something like Faithless Looting, it's really hard because every time they ban one of these things, they didn't just ban the one thing. They were always yep. banning multiple things and unbanning other things sometimes. And it's really yep. difficult to peg down what the format would look like and would it be healthy slash safe. Um, so, yeah, I yep. yeah, I fully I, agree on that one. That, yep. I am torn because I... There are two philosophies I really respect on what your ban list should do for your format. Either it should be as hands-off as possible and have as few cards on it as you can, which I guess means sometimes you have to ban one card, then ban a second card, then unban the first card, because it turned out the second one was the one that was truly problematic and the first one wasn't, which they don't do very often. Um, or you do what I was talking about a couple weeks ago, where you use the ban list to curate um the the different formats having different character to that point would preordain be broken in modern yes i don't think so yes um you zach go <laughs> home you're a drunk you're a drunk greedy blue player like of course preordain seems totally fair to you but like i can no it, no, it, no it but it's more the modern. combo players it's more the combo players that would uh be trying to exploit it but See, i'm saying that the cantrips that... in modern are so bad already 
um, upgrading serum visions potentially, or you know, opt not even necessarily to preordain, just doesn't seem like it would be problematic. I mean, um, here's the thing, Zach. Like you, I agree. It seems like combo decks uh, would love preordain and would use it more, but. I think the dirty secret is actually the fair blue decks would be much better with preordained than the combo decks would be. And Maybe. I think that's I think um, that's what everybody's missing. Sure. But I mean let we can look at things like the artifact lands. Um again, I don't think that those would be particularly broken now, especially not without Mox Opal. Um but I think the artifact lands would almost maybe cause more losses because your lands would be more vulnerable than than everyone else's in modern oh yeah um and there's karn great creator running around all over the place i think if they were banned to unban the artifact lands now it would be probably something that would actually hurt a lot of players win rates trying to play these decks and it would be totally fine but it is we're just at a point now where it's like i think they've been gone for so long that they just like having uh legacy being the format where that is legal and modern is a format where it's not um same with punishing fire and umezawa's jite yes these cards would would obviously affect the modern format but i don't think they would break it there's go plenty home, of decks home, that Zach, could be you're drunk like jite right. like i can i can i agree with your artifact lens take but like no i do we do not need jite in modern absolutely not no i don't think we need it i'm just saying i don't think it would break the format in half i think you just make it very different you know um it heliod would... combo obviously would be able to exploit it very well things like burn and prowess would probably suffer uh, a bit um but it's difficult to say exactly by how much because that card doesn't on its own affect the battlefield you need creatures to attach it to um uh, many of these decks already exist as piles of very aggressive removal and burn and counter magic so and then there's all these combo decks that don't care like that was my argument for for uro people were always saying it was problematic i'm like well you haven't died on turn three with an uro in your hand enough times to experience the fact that it's in my opinion fine for modern yes it was the best mid to late game thing you could have but you need to get there first and there's tons of people who just don't let you do that and that's that's the way it is no, I mean, anyway. it, it sounds like you're kind of making two different arguments that, you know, like, Uro, you're essentially saying red is so good that, like, Uro the busted card should be legal, which, you know, I totally, I don't know if I agree with that, but I do think, you know, like, red is a little too good right now, and, you know, <laughs> I love to die to turn three to prowess, and, you know, I love those triple Eidolon draws from burn where even the Cobru doesn't get you there, and it just feels kind of not great. Uh, but you know, I don't. I don't think the answer is to unban Uro. I think the answer is to take the red decks down a peg by banning one of their key cards. Uh, but yeah, well, there's, there's also <laughs> it's, there's mean, also amulet. There's also other combo decks that are going to kill you on turn three four, where that Uro just not is not going to get to play in in the game. That that's my point is that there's just plenty of things that are able to kill you before that point, and and it just didn't feel like it was. It was hosing other mid-range decks, uh, but there are still plenty of things that would kill you. Um, which, yeah. I go ahead, Brian. Go, Brian. Uh, I was going to say I think that this is a, a pretty good segue into our meta discussion yeah. in general. <laughs> um, if if we're not already here, no, no, uh, we, we we are, and a uh, huge celebration. The, the, there was dancing in the streets, except from David Robertson, who's gone back to his laboratory uh, in his basement. 
um, to tinker away with wonderful deck lists, which he shares with the world and uh, gives us all great joy. But the online deck list postings are back, and we can once again revel in uh, all the nonsense that occasionally five O's. So Jiggy, it's on you again. You got to do it. You got to get breach in there. It's and, so uh, it's so hard. I mean, I'll talk about this in the I later know. sections, but. I'm just not having any luck with Lazav Breach right now. You know, it's just... I think the biggest thing is that the burn matchup is, you know, pretty difficult. And even, you know, with four Cobrews and four... Because then the burn deck also gets Rest and Peach, which screws you. So you need, like, your four Cobrews and your four uh, Feed the Swarms. <laughs> and then even yeah. with those, you know, just, like, if they have the double Eidolon draw, you're just, like, SOL. Like, sure, you kill one Eidolon or, like... You know, even fully escalate the brutality. And then also just the blue-red prowess matchup is pretty much unsalvageable. You know, they have to, like, really stumble. Otherwise, Cobru does not get there against blue-red prowess like it does against Burn. Mm. So, yeah, we have the uh, online decklist back um, from uh, Goldfish, uh, MTG Top 8. Both All of these aggregators pull things from... Uh, Watsy's uh, dump of stuff, which is which has come back. Um, but a big shout out to Bamzig, uh, who is both Bamzig on Twitch and uh, on uh, Reddit, who was filling in in the meantime, doing all the work of sourcing all of the deck lists as much as possible in the interim um, for the challenges at least. Um, so that is where both of these lists came from, from last weekend's uh, March 20th uh challenge and march 21st super qualifier um so uh they had to do all the work manually and we have at least the archetypes if not the lists for everything um these lists uh, the, the top 32 of those tournaments has not appeared online they did get the five o's back um looks like back until like the 20th or so but they didn't post these challenges anywho uh the saturday challenge was one by Grixis Delver Shadow with Luris, um, by player uh, Fedi Jiki, um, who <laughs> I believe went on Twitter and etc. and sort of lambasted their own choice and was saying that Delver was a ridiculous thing to do, and now all sorts of people are trying it, and they're not. They weren't really sure how they ended up uh, uh, doing as well as they did with that. Um, <laughs> That's one of my favorite sort of phenomenons is like somebody does well with a deck and then they say oh no this was actually a really poor choice yeah and then everybody else is like no 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 you're stupid this is actually a great choice and we're gonna do it anyway and they're like no no i i brewed it and i played it and it felt awful and everybody's like no 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 Shh, sit down sit down let the adults <laughs> take over now and you're like what yeah i i had this um with with some of the arayo lists while we were playing arayo I was like, oh yeah, you know, I've been playing a bunch of this, and like, I think the consensus has been that Arayo is like, it's fun, but it's just not quite good enough. You know, you, you fill your deck with so much fluff, and I had a bunch of people be like, oh no, 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 I saw Canister play the deck. It's excellent. It's it's excellent. This is like T1 right here. And I'm like, oh, okay then. Well, have fun. <laughs> well, and, and, oh, sometimes, and sometimes you end up being wrong about your own deck choice, you know? Uh, as sure, sure. Artists don't always know all the value, all the uh, depth, all the commentary they've put into their own art. Same with uh, Magic Deck Builders. Sometimes you exploit a gap in the format that you don't realize. Uh, but I, I would say, yeah, I mean, I agree with you most most of the time. If, so, if, if the person who built the deck says this was the worst card in the deck, they probably 
you know, they're probably onto something. Um, that said, we haven't seen a lot of GDS-style decks recently, um, until this week where I ran into it multiple times, um, after this challenge result. Um, so it, it is interesting to, to, to think of either what shifted in the meta to open up that, or is the change they made to the list, uh, valuable on faithless brewing they mentioned the delver sometimes just clears removal um for your scourge or your death shadow that could be potentially true i guess um uh time will tell we'll, we'll see if the delvers stick around it's also an epic 20 turn clock i mean you get that delver down and they're really uh, you're putting some pressure on. listen i've got some copies of fugitive wizard and some magic beans i can sell you um <laughs> Anyway, so second place we had green-white Heliod, uh, not unexpected at all. Uh, Blue-red Prowess in third, mono-green Tron in fourth, surprising. Uh, fifth place, red-white Burn, mono-green Tron in sixth, still surprising. Eldrazi Tron in seventh, still surprising. And blue-white Spirits in eighth. So this was a super atypical um, challenge. Now, uh, two weeks ago we were talking about, um, or the, the, the challenge the week before this did end with Timu on uh, Kiki uh, Twin versus uh, TSP Hendrick on uh, Esper Control, uh, and uh, Yandrick did win that. So um, we we have had some serious flux in top eights, and it's it's crazy to see that like Mono Green Tron, which had a hard time cracking the top sixteen in weeks previous to this one, has two copies in the top eight here. Um, so obviously people were slacking on their non basic land hate. Um, or these people just spike the tournament really hard. It's always difficult to tell. Um, and uh, otherwise of note, in this uh, challenge, there was uh, Leviathan 102 on uh, Amulet Titan in 16th place, and uh, Melton on uh, Five Color Scape Shift in 25th place, and uh, there was a red-green Titan Shift deck. Um, and uh, the reason I mentioned... Uh, yeah, the reason I mention these players in particular is the next day, for the super qualifier, uh, they did quite well. Um, Leviathan 102 on Amulet Titan actually took down the whole thing, so huge congratulations to Leviathan. Um, then uh, in second place, we have uh, trophy leader uh, Dido Gudotti, uh, who went to the second place on Niftalite, so Amulet versus Niftalite in the finals again. Um, there's a black-green rock deck from Edward Forty Hands. Um, this particular player actually did a Twitter post again, as we were saying earlier, where uh, he said, in full disclosure, he O2'd the previous day's challenge, and he went to third place in the Super Qualifier. So that Modern is... Modern baby. I mean, just... Yeah, that's an incredible delta between success yeah. and failure um, on a single archetype from a single player. Um then double Jun Shadow, fourth and fifth, Amulet Titan in sixth, Jund in seventh, that's actual factual classic Jund, and Storm in eighth with uh, the uh, five color scape shift player I mentioned, Melton, um, just missing out on top eight in ninth place. So, I mean, if nothing else, saying how much flux and. Um, volatility there is in modern right now there's a there's quite a large net of um viable archetypes uh all of which are doing incredibly powerful things but even on individual players you can have insane runs uh immediately followed by terrible ones 
Um, which I guess is the most modern statement we've ever had about the metagame. How are you guys feeling about that? I I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to lie. You know, post-bans, um, I'm feeling a little bit like this is probably what everybody wanted or like what people are clamoring for on Reddit, this return to a time when Jund is good and Tron is good and like all of the old staples are good. But in my mind, it actually feels a little bit stale. It It's like, I actually didn't want to return to 2017, um, especially not without Opal and Astrolabe and the things that made the deck that I enjoy good. And I know that's a little bit selfish, but like, I don't know. I, I don't think that there's a problem with a format that is slowly rotating. Um, if Siege Rhino ever becomes playable again, Modern's probably dead. <laughs> uh, <and> so <laughs> I, fair, I, fair, I don't know. Old claim. I like it, though. I can, I'll get on board. You know, I, I, I really like control decks. I think that it's cool that we've seen a resurgence of these control decks. Um, I think that Green Tron is a healthy uh, menace for the format to have. Like, it, it can be incredibly tilting, and it can be all of these things. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's fine. It's just, like, when Green-White Heliod is sort of the newest thing on the block, I mean, I guess Prowess is to some extent, too, the, the blue Prowess, and, like, yeah, we have Scourge of the Skyclaves. I don't know. Maybe I'm just complaining for the sake of complaining. But it doesn't feel like there's anything that's, like, super exciting. It seems like we've kind of gone back to a lot of the old hats, you know, old hat-type stuff, and um, I want a little bit more excitement. <laughs> no, I see, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a matter of perspective, right? It's not, it's not boring. It's classic. We're back to modern sure. classic, you know. It's a modern classic remastered, uh, where green white is a uh, playable car uh, color combination. And I'm gonna kind of you know second what Brian said. I do feel like I have you know I don't feel like I don't really have a home in modern right now. Like the like I mentioned, I've been trying the I've been trying a whole bunch of things. You know the Grixis Lazav. I even cut the I tried cutting the Lazav Kroxa package and adding in the Arai or Appeal package just to you know kind of see what happens. Uh, once again, you know, that's high variance. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not. Uh, you know, there's just no way to, like, you know, there's no way to pitch the card. There's nothing to do when you draw all the fluff and you have nothing else to do, you know. If, maybe if we had Faithless Looting, you know, you could, like, pitch the Arayo if it's, like, turn five and it's obviously going to be useless. Uh, but I've tried a couple different permutations, and, I mean, the other decks are just so efficient, you know. That's, that's like, the big thing for me is that, like, the blue-red prowess deck kills so quickly. The amulet titan, you know, like, it's very stockless. Like, you know, sometimes they run Karn, sometimes they don't. But otherwise, you know, they do exactly what they do. Jun Shadow, you know, that'll also kill you quite quickly. And just have all these decks that are just so hyper-efficient, it kind of removes room for, like, other things. And, you know, like, I... Yeah, I haven't quite found a deck of a playstyle that I like. You know, there's always Niv. Like, I'm, I honestly think that Niv, five-color Niv, is probably the best deck in the format right now. It might actually have been for a while. If you look at these lists, they're kind of insane, and they just kind of show you just like how much the Niv deck just doesn't give a shit. With like four Helix, four Trophy, four Kai's Guile, four Omnath. Like was it like four Bring to Light, three Niv? Just you know, all these powerhouse, just like crazy good removal spells, and like four trophies. Like that's they just don't care about the card disadvantage because everything else in their deck is just that strong. And you know, Niv is definitely one of my first loves. Maybe I should play that again, but. You know, I kind of I've been a big fan of brewing, and I just have not been able to find a, a really good brew recently. Yeah, I, I mean, 
as I was saying about it being modern classic, I feel like this is a return to form, as I think we've said before, um, and something that a lot of people maybe really quickly got comfortable with. So I, I'm referring to a, a tweet by uh, Tom White, who is a uh, very well-known control player in modern... Mick Winsauce. yeah. A lot of respect for Mick Winsauce, but he uh, he put up, you know, the Super Qualifier Top 32 and said, like, oh my god, there's one control deck, and it was Aspiring Spike playing Jeskai Flagfire, um, which is not an archetype in modern right now. So, like, first of all, huge kudos to Spike, because he's just an insanely good player who always has... You know, a very, very good finger on the pulse of the metagame. Um, and, uh, you know, he was able to find success. But the truth of the matter was, there was like three or four five-color Niv decks in that top 32. And that is a control deck. When I came back to Modern, trying to play blue control was basically a joke. Um, there was very occasionally either blue-white or Jeskai control were kind of playable Cryptic Command decks. And that was it. Uh, by and large, but there were a number of tap-out control decks. Uh, Mardu Pyromancer was one of the first ones that I, I played, um, and it just seems to be the case uh, in Modern that that is much more frequently the way you're going to be able to be successful, or by playing some kind of controlling shell that has uh, a combo kill in it, like um, Timu's uh, uh, Kiki twin kind of decks, um, you know, sometimes uh, Blue Moon kind of fits that mold of being a, a tempo-y blue-red deck that uh, has one of multiple powerful combos or just plays in a tempo aspect rather than, like, a hard control aspect. Because the problem with playing hard control is without things like Mystic Sanctuary, it's so easy for other decks to set up to be able to top deck a kill at, at you. And um, in a longer tournament, when you're trying to win seven or eight matches... Uh, you're just going to lose to people top-decking well a percentage of the time. Um, something like Neobrand is kind of the pure expression of the way people want to play Modern, in that they just want to do something really, really, really powerful that is questionably consistent. And a lot of these combo <laughs> decks have found the sweet spot of being fairly consistent while being insanely powerful. Uh, Amulet Titan's a perfect example. That deck has a great mid-game, but also can kill you on turn two. Um, the, the percentage of kills on turn two is not that high, and the deck can be hated, but not so easily that they don't have counterplay. You know, so that's the sort of powerhouse sweet spot of modern. Um, so, and that that's the kind of thing that just makes control really hard, is these powerhouse sweet spots... I mean, Dredge has a turn three kill, well, how do you build your control deck to have a good game against Dredge and Titan? That's not easy. And then there's three or four other decks that take particular axes of the game and try to kill you on it. This is why it's very difficult to play these kind of control decks. It, you can't have plans for everyone. Um, in a competitive setting like these challenges, it's a little bit easier because you can count on a good chunk of the field being particular archetypes, Burn and Blue-Red Prowess, um, but on a given weekend, we can see, like, all of a sudden, two Green Tron players in the top eight. Let me tell you something. As a control player, Green Tron or E-Tron can be very problematic, especially if they board in things like uh, Emrakul the Promised Den, which I ran into multiple times this week. <laughs> um, 
so you know we're we're uh, we're in a bit of a modern classic, and maybe maybe we're gonna see some shakeup with these Strixhaven cards uh, that'll be coming oh, into I the format. So, um, so uh, Brian, do you want to tell us about uh, the wonderful world of Strixhaven that we're gonna be heading to soon enough? So Strixhaven is the upcoming set. It is definitely not a knock uh, or a ripoff of Harry Potter. Um, Wizards totally came up with the idea independent of Harry Potter, and there is no, uh, you know, IP crossover with Harry Potter. So don't call it Harry Potter. It's not Hogwarts. Thank goodness. Um, it's as, not. A huge, as, a, as a huge Harry Potter fan, I am annoyed by people bringing this up because Harry Potter is more than just <laughs> a wizard school with houses. It's just the most fo- famous property that had that because those things existed. But we, we had this stuff before, guys. Harry Potter is this is not a new idea with Harry yep. Potter. It's just the most famous expression of it. Amen. Yeah. No. So Strixhaven is introducing uh, some new mechanics. Uh, we have Magecraft, which is um, kind of a storm-esque or prowess-esque mechanic that triggers on um, instant and sorcery casts. Or copy. And copy. Uh, Yeah. uh, And copy, and that's the important part for storm players. Um, There is ward, which is uh, effectively a fixed version of, like, hexproof, sort of, or protection. Uh, It basically says if something, if a, a spell targets... Uh, a particular creature or thing with ward, the uh, person who is, or the opponent who is trying to target it uh, has to pay two or counter that spell. Um, So we've seen this on creatures before, but never keyworded. Uh, This is a new evergreen keyword, they said, so we will be seeing this um, in upcoming sets as well. Uh, There's another mechanic called learn, and um, when you see something with learn, you can either fetch a lesson out of your sideboard or outside the game. So for kitchen table players, that is out of your collection if you want. For competitive players, that is going to be out of your sideboard. Um, and if you decide not to grab a lesson spell, you can rummage. So you can discard and then draw. I believe. Yes, that's correct. There's a, wish there's a white two mana. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm, I'm, we'll see. So, um, real quick, I just want to mention one, uh, Magecraft. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Magecraft. Um, some people have said, like, oh, this is just like the different prowess. Um, personally, I think this is what prowess always should have been in terms of what it triggers on is instants and sorceries, especially if they're going to make it a blue red mechanic. But most importantly, because it's an ability word, um, not a, a keyword ability. And by that I mean, um, when you see Magecraft on a card, it says Magecraft in italics, then hyphen. The word Magecraft does not need to be on that card at all. The card functions exactly the same um, without the word on there. And the reason I like that is because you can make the Magecraft trigger to be literally anything. The problem with Prowess for me is that Prowess is tied to this idea of plus one plus one. Um, and so you'll have awkward cards like Monastery Mentor where it's got Prowess, and then it's got this other trigger that isn't Prowess, but works exactly like Prowess and makes a 1-1 Monk with Prowess. I just wish that they had figured out a way where it could have been like, 
prowess one, comma, and create a monk. It's like, this trigger causes both these things to happen. And all triggers like it cause X thing to happen. They didn't do that, whatever. Um, so I, I'm happy about Magecraft being a, an ability word, and I, I generally like ability words for having flexibility. Um, war... Oh, I love Monastery Mentor. I just wish the template was cleaner, you know? Well, and Mentor may get a little bit of boost from some of these Magecraft cards. Uh, we now have new options to surround it with. So, learn. So we've seen some lesson cards. Um, a whole bunch of them, by the way, very interestingly, are colorless, but have nothing to do with Eldrazi. Um, so as we mentioned, the learn mechanic lets you put a lesson card into your hand from outside the game, and um, you can, you know, then cast that. And a bunch of them are colorless and have very strange, strange effects. Um, one of them is five mana sorcery, exile target, non-land permanent opponent controls. They draw a card. Um, that's kind of wild. Um, there's a two yeah. mana uh, search your library for a basic land, then gain two life. You put the land in your hand. It's not ramping. Um, generally, it seems like they've done a good job designing these colorless ones to be of a very non-offensive power level. Um, I would, I would compare so these far. Well, yeah, that's what we're, that's what I'm saying. Like so far, we haven't seen anything from these colorless ones that and and comparing comparatively, artifacts. They've they've had a pretty good track record in the recent years of designing colorless artifacts that are innocuous. Um, they're very not pushed. Um, like the five mana sorcery exile target non land permanent. They get to draw a card. Like that's that's unbelievably balanced. Um, that's very unlikely to affect any format other than maybe standard, maybe pioneer in a stretch. Um, but these colored ones, so we're also getting colored spells that are lessons. Um, we only have one so far. It's confront the past. So it's uh, X and a black, um, and it says choose one, return target planeswalker card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Or remove twice X loyalty counters from target planeswalker and opponent controls. So, um, let's say in modern, for four mana, you could probably kill most planeswalkers. Three, you could kill some planeswalkers. Um, and uh, the returning a planeswalker uh, with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. I mean, what you have to remember is, like Companion, this is kind of a free card. Um, now... Obviously, the cards that have the learn trigger on them are overcosted uh, medium effects. Some of them are like draft playable, like three mana. Uh, there's like a three mana like uh, giant growth style card. Um, there's you know um, they can staple learn to anything, and most of the time it's been stapled to sort of medium power level uh, cards that look like they're for sort of uh, limited play. Um, do you guys think there is going to be anything that just, like, makes this mechanic kind of busted and and uh, has some of the problems that Companion had? Or um, do you think that they'll actually have this dialed in properly, Arun? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think this will be super busted. You know, with these, I just want to say, first of all, I love this card. You know, like, Unearthed Planeswalker effects are super cool and they're starting to be explored more. If Unearth hit Planeswalkers, that would be my dream. Uh, then it'd probably be way too busted. <laughs> uh, but I do, I do love this playing with like putting your Planeswalkers back on the battlefield. I think 
you know, I don't think this, this is a busted mechanic at all. I think it's a pretty sweet mechanic. Unlike companions, you know, just so you get in your sideboard, but you have to you have to play a card to find it, and the cards that find it are, are overpowered. Whereas companions, you didn't have to play a card to find it. You just had to put that in your sideboard, and it was always there for you, uh, which made it you know especially busted. And then this also, you know, like these take up sideboard slots, and you know sideboard slots are pretty valuable. As you, I'm starting to you know learn more and more, especially when you start messing with card wishboards, etc. It's like you know sometimes it's nice yeah maybe the one in ten times you wish for uh you know maybe in staring bridge or i mean you always coding coding always earns us keep but what about cards like python needle or the skyboat that you you know you wish for like not as often but sometimes you know like oftentimes you might just want it to be a removal spell that you can side in so i think i love that they're playing with the wishboards you know and my my dream deck would have would be 15 wishboard cards and you know i i hate sideboarding i've it's just, just so click hard. Submit, baby. Oh yeah, it's just, but it's just so hard to do no. that because you need, you know, you need to multiple. You need a, you would need a whole bunch of redundancy. You know, you need multiple mm. like Karn and Fey of Witches, for instance, and then you've got eight now. Maybe you know some of these lesson cards, and now you can start, you know, just like maybe you can always grab the sideboard card you need. But until you kind of get to that setup, there's a big price to pay for, especially like confront the past. Like you put this card in your sideboard, like in constructed, like what? Like no way. <laughs> I don't know. I'm actually most interested in these colorless sorceries and, and instants. They're probably all going to be bad. I think that's the only way for them to be safe is if they're just bad. Um, but, you know, having played a bunch of Mystic Forge recently and wanting some of the, you know, wanting spells in my deck, not just artifacts or, or not just colorless uh or I guess previously colorless things. This is this is possibly a big boost. Like, yeah, it may be five mana to exile something, but if that's like the difference between you winning and losing, maybe you don't care about paying that five mana and you know giving them a card because you're just going to win that turn. Um, I don't know. I, I'm going to be really interested to see the learn itself. I'm not terribly worried about. Uh, it seems like this is a white and black ability. I guess. Um, there, there's a red card. It's the uh, the giant oh, growth. It's uh, okay. plus three plus one and trample for. Three yeah, mana. I think so it's all I, colors. I, I, I yeah, and there's field trip. Uh, it's a three mana rampant growth mm. that has learned. So I think it's I think it's in every color. I think we can expect to see more of it in probably. Yeah, I'd guess white black. Um, yeah, it, it seemed like this is the the quote unquote card draw that they're trying to give to white. Um, yeah, that's, and so that's, that's an cool, interesting I guess, idea. You know? Yeah, and and I, I think it's going to be a really fun limited mechanic. Like, really fun. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's true. I think, if, if nothing else, um, this is a really great excuse to try uh, Arena, uh, which we'll get into in a minute. Mm -hmm. um, no, no, <laughs> I, I, I mean, if, if nothing else, I love Arena for um, limited um, because it's fast and it's, it's cheap. It's cheap mm -hmm. as free, uh, basically. Uh, if you have any reasonable amount of uh, skill or time to put in and on it, um, but I think I do think it's going to be a really really fun limited mechanic, and I I, I do just want to touch on it because this is something that looks dangerous to me, um, but thus far it seems like they actually have it dialed in. Um, so probably when this set has a miss that breaks formats in half, it's going to be a, another Tybalt's uh, treachery, uh, another card that is not synergistic with anything else in the set, has no reason to be there. Uh, and it's totally busted in half and, and ruins uh, I, a week or two I'm gonna, of, I'm gonna, of other formats. 
hot take time. Uh-oh. Hot take. Super hot take. Oh, dear. By the time this episode releases, they're going to have previewed the card that completely <laughs> breaks the format. Okay. <laughs> so that should be on the 29th or 30th of March, people. Get your calendars out and figure out what, uh, what got uh, spoiled on Monday or Tuesday. <laughs> uh, there we go. All right. Um... That said, somebody has picked a actual specific card from this set that they want to talk about. Um, who oh, is that? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'll I have, as we talk about all the time, and as Dan and I like to joke about, we have a Mox Amber radar in our head. And, you know, especially I love Mox Amber. And this is a first uh, card printing for Mox Amber. This is Valentine Dean of the Vein. Uh, it's a rare. It's actually a multi. It's a MDFC with two creatures. This is the front half, but I honestly don't care about the back half, so I'm going to talk about the front half. Uh, Valentine, Dean of the Vein. It's a single black for legendary creature vampire warlock. Menace, life link. If non-token creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead. When you do, you may pay two. If you do, create a 1-1 black and green pest creature token with when this creature dies, you gain one life. And just small aside here, I... You know, I kind of wish there wasn't so much text on these cards. I'm actually a big fan of the flavor text in Magic, and, you know, I love to kind of get the context of the card and, you know, like, some things about it. And when they just stick so many abilities like this, you, like, it, you know, there's just no room for flavor text. It makes me a little sad because I'd love to know a little bit more about Valentine other than, you know, like, how is a 1-1? How did he become Dean of the College? You know, that's, that's pretty impressive. He dies to every, he dies to a light sneeze, yet somehow he's the Dean. So good for him or them. But more importantly... This is the first one single black mana mox enabler that exists uh, now or so far. And I think this is pretty exciting. I was going to say, I think this might be the best one mana mox amber enabler. Mm. I mean, good, good. Maybe good point. Gideon, but like the ability on the front half of this is actually pretty relevant. And, uh,. You know, I don't know that there's anything else at one mana. Like, Riss is good because it produces two colors, and if you're in those colors, it's great. Um, but yeah, I, I think that just in a vacuum, this may be the strongest one mana enabler that we've seen to date. And don't worry, everyone. Uh, you know, if Wizards, if Wizards did not wind up banning Uro, this card was going to be some nice little Uro hate. Uh, so, like, <laughs> they they do try. Like, it's first, if a non-token creature opponent controls would die, exile it instead. You know, like, that will get rid of Uro's. It gets rid of Kroxas. You know, unfortunately, they had to ban Uro before we got this card, because this card actually wouldn't do anything to Uro, because no one would play this card. But, in theory, you know, Wizards does try and, uh, you know, like, rectify these problems, which I think is, you know, pretty interesting and definitely good on them uh, for doing the best they can. But, yeah, I'm very excited for this card. You know, like, it's, like, turn one... Mox Valentine Thoughtseize. That's you know turn to Liliana of the Veil. Heck yeah. That sounds that sounds like some good good old fashioned magic. Uh, I'll definitely be messing around with this. You know how I can. We still, you know, I want Tiny Bones. Give me my Tiny Bones and Modern Horizons too, please, Wizards, because that would you know that that's when all the fun starts. Uh, but this is you know I'm very excited for this card and I will I will be messing with it no doubt. Also, you get some really cool redundancy and I want to just talk in general about magic design. They did an awesome awesome job with this Dean cycle. Mm-hmm. So there is a cycle in every two color pair and I mean every two color pair. Uh, there's a red white one. There's a green blue one. There's a black uh, green one that we're talking about right now, and 
the coolest thing about these, as has been mentioned with other double-faced cards that they have had legends on both sides, is you can play four copies of this, and you your first two copies are are great because you have the A side and the B side that you can play, uh, especially with this one because your A side is likely to die. So you can even draw three or four versions of it and probably not get into trouble. Um, and the, the B side uh, of this one is, as, as is the case with all of them, um, synergistic with the A side. Um, so uh, she's a four mana four four, which is already shockingly reasonable. Um, and then it just says, whenever you gain life, you may pay one. If you do, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control, and those creatures gain trample until end of turn, which I think Jiggy would have a lot of fun with with Monastery Mentor. Um, I don't know if you're going to be able to actually fit that all in the same deck, and even if you do, I don't know if you're going to be able to play pay two GG for this druid, and I don't know how you're going to plan on gaining life. Um, but... Ah, uh, mentor of the Meek. Yeah, there you go. Or just the A-side, right? He's got Menace and Lifelink. Um, yeah, yeah. There you go. And 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 as is the case with these other ones, they they synergize. The the A side and the B side of the card actually work with each other. Um, and in this case, fairly powerfully and uh, in a very straightforward way. Some of the other ones are a bit more complicated. Uh, see, uh, what is it? Uvilda, Dean of Perfection, and Nasari, Dean of Expression. This is the blue red pair. Uh, trying to parse exactly how these two work together is uh, uh complicated um, but but they do uh <laughs> anyway. so yeah um anything else that we're excited about that we've seen so far or are we ready to move on um i, I think the the black white elder dragon looks reasonably pushed um obviously it specifically is not that great shadrick's silver quill um but uh, the other ones, if they're on a consummate power level, might be something worth looking at. Yeah, it'll be interesting to In see because they're made for you know, like it says, you target, you have to target different opponents right with the ability. So it's kind of made for multiplayer. So it'll be interesting to see if the other Elder Dragons in the set are made for multiplayer too. Uh, it's a different player too. So this is a very interesting template on. Yeah. So Shadrick's Silver Quill. It's a flying double strike, two, five. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may choose two. Each mode must target a different player. So in a two-player game, you're either choosing two or zero. And um, that's you and your opponent must be the targets. And so you either give yourself or your opponent a 2-1 white-black inkling creature token with flying. Uh, target player draws a card and loses one life. And target player puts a plus one, plus one counter on each creature they control. So... That third mode is your is your sort of money slot in terms of that's probably the one you're going to give to your opponent most of the time um, because your goal is going to be that they don't have any creatures. And then each turn you're going to be able to draw a card and lose one life or create a 2-1 uh, white-black flyer. Um, this this card, I mean, it's it seems kind of straightforward and not busted in any way. Uh, the fact that it's a 5-mana 2-5 flying double strike is actually some of the most impressive thing about it. If you're able to get any equipment or power pumping on that, that could be kind of terrifying. Um, but the more interesting thing is thinking about what's the blue-green dragon going to be doing? What's the red-blue dragon going to be doing? These things could end up being fairly busted. We'll Hopefully see. busted things. I would love a new blue-green mm -hmm. busted card. You know, Kazmina, not quite doing it for me, not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, Kazmina <laughs> is a little less... <laughs> Less than exciting. 
some of these uh, Magecraft cards are, are pretty spicy. Mm. I mean, there's this four mana, what is this, uh, Archmage Emeritus. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, draw a card. It's four mana for a 2-2, two -two, but that ability is pretty bonkers. Have you met my friends uh, Joyra, Joyra of the Gitu or uh, <laughs> the Archmage? Because I, I just, I, I have a belief that this card will not, not be seeing any particular amounts of play. Wrong or maybe Joyra. we'll get a new Cheerios deck. It's Joyra, yeah, Captain of the, the Weatherlight. Weatherlight Captain. Oh, it's, it's yeah. yeah, sorry. The one I was thinking about but was that's... the Time Spiral one. Yes. Yeah, so so Joyra is specifically limited to historic cards, which is much, much, much different than whenever you copy an instant or sorcery. Sure, and right. I think we, it is worth mentioning that if you storm, right, you yep. are you are performing one action of copying, or are you performing multiple actions of copying? I believe it's one. I think um, it's multiple because you copy uh, it a bunch of times. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, because yeah. it doesn't say um, whenever you cast or uh, copy up to, you know, they, they, have, a, they have a word for, like, uh, when multiple creatures come into play, but this only triggers once. It's a, oh, yeah. one or more. So, yeah, I guess it would be if you copy one or more spells. And that's, this does not use that template. So, you, yeah, it does seem to be the case that if you storm, you're going to get that number of triggers. So that could be kind of busted. Yeah, um, storm is definitely the thing you'd want to do, but... I don't know, four mana for a 2-2, two, two, like, <laughs> you know, like that, you're competing with Jace the Mon you know, if, if I can't, yeah. if I try and gem Tamiyo, Collector of Tales, in like all of my decks, and like, I love it, but it's a terrible card compared to so many other cards, especially without Uro, and like, you know, this card doesn't really excite me more than Tamiyo excites me. No, I mean, I think you're just gonna, like, whatever you're gonna be doing with this, you're gonna be trying to win the game that turn. That, that's, I mean, there's just no, I don't think there's any messing around yeah. with that that's like that's yeah, gonna yeah. be what you're gonna you're gonna be trying to do with that um you grape shot for 20 yeah you draw 20 cards and then you conflagrate <laughs> because you didn't already have them dead with the first 20 copies of grape shot yeah exactly um also yeah. worth noting that all of the magecraft cards um function very uh let's say poorly with um, a particular card from Onslaught Block called Chain of Smog. Um, there was an entire chain cycle, which is le loosely based on chain lightning. Um, and the problem, quote-unquote, with uh, or, or, or the, the bonus, the, the reason Chain of Smog works busted here is because it is uh, one in a black target player discards two card, and then that player may just copy this. And the reason that that card is the way it is is... Originally, it was supposed to be this sort of mutually assured destruction of, I pay one and a black, you're going to discard two cards. Now, you can copy that back at me, and then I can copy it back at you until we both have no cards in hand. Um, actually, you're just able to keep doing that indefinitely until you both decide you've had enough. Um, and if there were something in play that were triggering off of copies, um, that would be triggering every time. In this case, you can target yourself and do that indefinitely and just immediately kill your opponent. Um, people are, of course, concerned, not concerned, but potentially concerned about the implications for these, these, this, this combination of cards um, for the Legacy format, and as such, there's been a uh, buyout of Chain of Smogs. I'm not particularly worried about it, and it doesn't affect any of the formats that we're uh, talking about, but there may be some other 
unintuitive C-tier cards that uh, get powered up by the uh, induction of Magecraft, referring to uh, copies as well as casts. Um, now, this was already potential with Ral Storm Conduit, so maybe the fact that that's twice as expensive as some of these Magecraft cards that will kill um, is is uh, an important distinction, but uh, time will tell. Yeah, I mean, Legacy's gonna be busted for a little bit when after this set releases, like always. <laughs> like, you know, the same, just yeah. the Tib like Turbo, the Turbo Tibalt decks that just cascaded into Tibalt with, like, Oko as your backup plan with that, run, that ran 12 forces, you know, like those cards, that ruined Legacy for a little bit. But, you know, like, at this point, Magic is almost 25, maybe even more than 25 years behind it. Like, there's just no way to avoid these things, especially if you wanna really, you know, keep it interesting. Like, you know, if you, if you, we had 25 years of, printings of Scourge, the set, and like similar things, you know, Magic would be boring as hell. So like, I'm very glad that they're mm, doing these yep. things. And occasionally, of course, like when you have 25 years of cards to draw upon, you're going to find these very random, obscure combos. Uh, but you know, I think Legacy, I love the format, but also given the reserve list and like all the other problems and issues that it has, you know, like it, I think it's totally fair to just kind of not plan for it and ban when you need to. Um, additionally, coming with Strixhaven, we have the Mystic Archive. Um, so this is similar to um, Masterpieces or Expeditions, pe people may be familiar with um, from the past. Um, these are occasionally extant in your pack. You will have an alternate art card um, from Magic's past. Well, one per pack. Um, they're going to be very... Oh, is it they, one per pack? Yeah, yeah they're going to be all over the place. Holy it's amazing. Crap. Oh, that's awesome. Um, sorry, I was not clear on that detail. So yeah, one per pack, you get your mix Mystic Archive card um, in Strixhaven. Uh, these are alternate art versions of cards from Magic's past. Uh, for the most part, they are not legal in Standard, um, although most of them, except for a few of them, are going to be legal in Historic, which we'll talk about in a half a second. Um, so overall, I mean, this is just a, a very, very cool... Um, Cool, cool product. Uh, the cool part of the Strixhaven product. Um, I have a, a, a very loose uh, idea here to talk about some of the uh, art choices if you guys are at all interested. Uh, as Faithless Looting, um, in particular, has caused some uh, pushback and focus. I'm I'm gonna steal this from you, and I'm just gonna say like so. The big controversy is that the Faithless Looting art looks kind of absurd. I think the biggest thing is like the. It's got a human on it, and the human looks like it's a Photoshop rather than a painting. And that, you know, I think that gets everyone up in a tizzy. Uh, you know, I love it. You know, it's weird. It's, like, really weird. But, like, who cares, you know? Like, use a different Faithless Looting if you're so concerned about it. I think it's sweet. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. I first noticed that Absurdity with, um, what was it, Harmonize also has a, a, what looks to be a photo of a human with, like, weird photoshop on top of it yeah harmonize and i don't know it's funky the the whole thing is funky but the art on all of these is kind of funky you know some of them are a little bit more traditionally magic but some of them are are definitely a lot more out there and i love that they're trying goofy stuff the inquisition of kozilek uh so good weather the storm i mean all of these i I'm I'm in. They're all gorgeous. I don't care if your faithless looting looks a little bit weird and has a Photoshop human. That's that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. For 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 what for what it's worth, I do not like this faithless looting art. But every set 
has had art that I don't like. Every set. From the beginning of my playing until more modern times. The most... The, the biggest issue I've ever had with magic art was especially from the, the era of, like, when I came back in about Kaladesh, all the way up to, I want to say Dominaria, but even through Ixalan, uh, the, the problem that I had was it was, it was just so homogenous. It, it looked like every mm. single artist was trying to copy every single other artist. And that's not what magic art used to be like to me at all now i'm not a fan of phil foglio's uh you know sort of i don't know like children's greeting card level of of artwork um some people are um someone was bringing up stasis uh on twitter the other day and saying like oh it's a good thing magic twitter didn't exist back in the beginning because i I hated to see what people would be saying about stasis (laughs) it's fine for people not to like the art of stasis you know it's 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 uh it's it's kind of modern ish and it's not um very complex um but it's all it's it's great for us all to have a different taste in in artwork and that's uh, as i said um this is something that is not a big deal. This does not have a lot of real-world implications, so feel free to have a bad take. If you want to say that a piece of artwork is is poor, that's fine. It's not going to hurt anyone, you know, in a very real way. Uh, maybe someone's feelings, but uh, so be careful with each other. Um, I love most of the uh, the Japanese releases mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Um, the, um, the Mystic Archive, for anyone who's not aware. Um, J- Japan is getting totally different versions of all the mystic archive cards um but even some of these uh, i think the artwork is a little bit too i'm just gonna say like anime e and i don't think that that's you know exactly the the look that i love for magic but that's okay too that's fine just just give us some more diversity um and you know i I, i'm happy because then you have you will you will find stuff that you love and you will see stuff that you don't love and that's fine just play with the stuff that you love and and then we get to have uh high energy nerd conflict about it Woo! i have to say i think that regardless of the the individual pieces of art i think that they did a great job across these um, mystical archives, both in the Japanese and the non-Japanese, in setting a tone and a feel. Um, They all are vaguely scroll-esque or like illuminated manuscript or hieroglyphic Mm -hmm. or sort of like a more, you know, ancient uh, pictograph type type feel to them and i think that even like with the faithless looting that has the you know photoshoppy person on it they all sort of have that um that feel to them and i i I think that they just knocked it out of the park they don't look like magic cards to me they don't read like magic cards to me um and that unsettles me a little bit but you know that's sort of what i've been asking for right I, i keep saying i want more cosmetics so that the cost of cards comes down so that everybody has access and i think that this does a pretty good job of that yeah i'd love to see something like some of these pieces of art in magic more often but with the regular border and i think that's a place where seb mckinnon's been a wonderful breath of fresh air seb mckinnon has such a wonderful personal style um basically no matter what world 
that we're in. Seb McKinnon does Seb McKinnon style art, just like Rebecca Gay did Rebecca Gay style watercolors before, almost always. Um, but but just put it in the regular Magic frame and 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 put that alongside the other cards. Um, I would love to see that uh, more often. Yeah, I just got to say I love that these don't look like Magic cards. You know, I think it's super cool and. Like, you know, I'm always a huge fan of the extended arts, especially like the full art ones, you know, like the Double Masters uh, box topper style, especially now that they come in on foil. I especially love that. And, you know, just getting the Oof. getting the art one, like the full art things, the extended art ones and looking at your deck. And it does, it looks less like a magic deck, but it looks sweet. And it definitely brings me a lot of joy. So I'm, I'm very happy with these changes. Well, there we go. So, yeah. with all of all of all of that out of the way, one more small section before we get to modern. But this has been pretty exciting. <laughs> so the I'm gonna start this off, and the inter the super interesting thing about this whole about apart from the arts being amazing, is that most of these cards, with the exception are you know, like can channel natural order, like the super busted cards, bolt, etc. But a lot of these are actually going to be legal in the historic format on Magic Arena. And so, you know, we won't go over a whole list, but the ones that really, you know, kind of interest me now is that Brainstorm is legal in historic, well, will be legal in historic. Uh, Faithless Looting, like we talked about. Uh, really interesting, too, Mind's Desire and Tendrils of Agony. You know, we saw Mind's Desire first. Everyone's wondering, okay, why are they putting Desire in this? And you see Tendrils, like, okay, like now, now we have something to mess around with. Uh, and so, you know, this is this is the fact that Historic is going to get such a big shakeup of such these powerful cards. You know, like now we don't have. There's not really any good fetches to enable Brainstorm, like Faithless Looting. You know, there's is that Phoenix. There's Phoenixes, but there's not really two. You know, it's not going to be as busted as it was in Modern, especially with no fetches. So this is. Historic, once this set comes out, is going to kind of be like an absolute brewer's paradise. And the unfortunate thing is that the Magic Online Arena economy is terrible. And I'll let, you know, Zag and Brian have many more gripes about that than I do. So I'll let them do that. But the things, so, you know, I love Lazav Kroxa. It's my jam. It feels almost there in modern, but like still powerful, but like not quite. Uh, I built a version historic because historic uh, you get tiny bones and you get aether spellbomb and a couple other things and it was okay but still a little underpowered there but these might beef it up a little bit so for instance brainstorm there's no fetches but brainstorm and emery is pretty amazing if you if no one's ever done that I would highly recommend it the other thing is like I noticed from the original blue green uh, Kinnan Arosa list that I uh, trophied with in legacy was that brainstorm and these kind of lists was insane where especially if you have all these like low power but high synergy pieces, like if you have a hand that's kind of unplayable and you brainstorm, like it's got an opal though, and you brainstorm, you'll hit like Astrolabe, Lotus Petal, you put back to like your extra copy of Kinnan and maybe an Uro that you don't need. And then all of a sudden now you've got like, you went from having an unplayable hand to having a hand that's got three extra mana. And those brains, like brainstorm always feels good, but in these, in those shells, brainstorm actually felt amazing. I think similar to this, where Emery, without fetches, Emery and Historic is going to be one of the better ways to get all your, rid of all your stuff with Brainstorm. And especially, you know, you'd love to, much better to mill Kroxa than to cast Kroxa. Like that turn two, cast Lazab, Surveil, Kroxa, that's the good stuff. That is, that feels pretty amazing. And similarly, uh, you know, you're also being able to put back, like you don't really want to draw multiple Mox Ambers. Don't really want two Lazabs, don't want two Kroxas, so just being able to put back your redundant legends and alt at the same time 
being able to you know have a more consistent mox amber enabling that's definitely intriguing to me and then you know you can't we're a grixis deck uh that likes to put things in the graveyard we can't not play faithless looting sadly we don't have unearthed all those other busted cards uh but you know i'm definitely gonna try out these cards uh in the historic lazav deck which i have built already which is fortunate for me the other thing is i would love to work on the tendril <laughs> the tendrils minus desire list I forged my competitive uh, magic chops playing Doomsday with Divining Top and Mystical Tutor in Legacy. That was like, that was my jam. This was, this was before, you know, a little bit of a tangent, but I feel like Doomsday used to be a cool and interesting deck in Legacy because you didn't have Thassa's Oracle and like, you know, you didn't get a pass the turn pile as we called them. You essentially have to win on the spot and so you have to memorize all these combinations and make sure you have an extra cantrip for your piles. And that was great and Top was amazing in that. The new Doomsday decks are much less interesting because now they've got like four Force of Will, four Days. They're kind of just like these combo control decks that just, you know, like Duress, Thoughtseize, Days, Force, and then you just Dark Ritual into Doomsday, and then you have your pa you pass the turn, and then you just win with protection uh, thanks to uh, Cavern of Souls and Thassa's Oracle making your stuff uncounterable, which is much less interesting uh, than, you know, like, okay, like... I have one blue floating, I have a ponder in hand, my storm count is four, you know, like what's the pile that I'm going to need in order to win on the spot with tendrils. Uh, and so I love, you know, I, unfortunately I never got to play with Mind's Desire in any competitive format, uh, but I do love the card and I will definitely, you know, actually I don't think I will because I don't have the money to just dump a whole bunch into Arena so I can get the wild cards to build the whole deck. Uh, but in another life, or if they decide to fix the Arena economy, I would be super interested in trying this out. Yeah, I I don't know. Historic is simultaneously the most interesting it's been ever for me with this influx of cards and also makes me incredibly angry. And I know that part of this is like a little bit irrational. I know that if I wanted to play her Historic, I, I could definitely do it. I don't like that the economy sort of dictates how you have to interact. It's either you dump a bunch of money in for wild cards and stuff, or you spend a ton of time playing. And I guess that's kind of already true of Magic, right? Like, you either dump a bunch of money in to buy your deck, and then, or you, you, know, you sort of play a bunch of limited, and you grind up some cards, and you... you become the end boss at your LGS and get a bunch of uh, credit and you can buy into more decks that way and build a collection. I, I don't know. Maybe this isn't all that different, but it feels bad. I have a large paper collection, a very large paper collection. I have a pretty extensive MTGO collection as well because I didn't want to go for the top tier rental. So I, I ended up buying a lot of the really expensive staples. So now I have two collections, often mirrored cards in both. And now you're asking me to build a third collection. And that's just like, it's a bridge too far. I don't know. You know, I would be into Historic if I could play it on MTGO. I would be into trying it if I could play it in paper, which sure we can, but there's not going to be any paper events anywhere. I, I, I don't know. It just, the economy really puts me off and there's also a whole slew of other stuff. Um, you know, it doesn't feel like magic to me. MTGO doesn't even feel like magic to me in some ways, just because it's digital and I'm so enfranchised in paper. But Arena is like leagues away from where MTGO is. MTGO is like a, a pretty, I don't want to say good, it, it's a more uh, uh, accurate representation of paper than, than other stuff. Um, 
but arena is just like I get it. I get it that you're trying to appeal to a new generation and you're trying to appeal to people who play things like Hearthstone, but I, I don't know. It, it feels a little bit like they're losing their identity or giving up on their identity a bit. You know, I, I don't need giant flashy graphics and whatnot, and I can't even turn them off. That That's where I start to get angry. It's like, at least give me the option to turn that off. You know? <laughs> if you're going to turn my computer into a, a, portal, a portable heating device, like, please give me give me a choice here. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm very tepid on Arena in general, and um, maybe I'm just a paper boomer. Yeah, I mean, I have I have very mixed feelings about Historic and Magic Arena in general. Um, I, I was in the beta. Um, I made a point of joining the beta and, and very sort of aggressively wanted to be there on the front line, um, testing it and, and being part of what I was very excited about as a next sort of chapter of magic online development. Um, and, uh, even while I was working on cruise ships was that when it came out. So I would spend time when I was off the ship in a port where I could have been doing other things, you know, traveling around new Orleans that I was, that that's the city we were out of at the time or, or wherever I was in Mexico. Um, but, uh, you know, I love magic and I wanted to check it out. Um, and it was very exciting. And, but it just, very quickly, you know, I would go on their forums and I would submit things to them and say, like, listen, I, I see you're pushing in this direction. I would prefer if you didn't. And then they put out these very lengthy videos about how they would redesign this aspect or another of the card game um, because they thought it was better uh, for digital implementation. Things like uh, the cards on the battlefield aren't full-size cards. Um, they're little squares. Uh, things don't tap. 45 degrees even they they tap it's like 15 degrees but they gray out so that it's it's not in question um you know they don't tap 90 degrees it's not even an option um and etc 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 and all of these things i i just had the pushback and i've i've always been this person in every game that i participated in whether it be world of warcraft or whatever it is that there's so many things that they will start changing for i don't know overall usability and I'm just, maybe I'm just an old man, and I and I go like, no, no, no. See, like the fact that it's clunky is part of the experience. The fact that it functions one particular way is part of what it is. Um, and just because you can change it in a way that makes sense for the future doesn't mean you just get to do that. Um, but uh, yes, they do, and uh, and and uh, and it works. I'm not saying it it doesn't work. So you know, that's that's me. Um, and then there were things like how they've rolled out and implemented um, certain things. So in the beta, we had the full sets of Amonkhet, Hour of Devastation, uh, Kaladesh, and Aether Revolt. Those sets were stripped out when they did release the quote-unquote full game when, they, when Ravnica came out. And were not implemented for years. They still have never implemented those full sets. They have uh, implemented remastered versions of them. Um, does that matter? I don't know. I guess it depends on who you talk to. I, I, this is not, I mean, does it matter if certain types of, you know, draft chaff common are not available in the client, though they should be because they're part of the sets that they came from? I don't know. Does it matter for constructed? Maybe not. It just feels wrong to me. It's like, it's like a moral problem. It's just like, this is not... That's not the set that was built. That's not what magic is um, to, I guess, to me. 
Um, and uh, anyway, so all these things compound to have me in an awkward spot. Um, they abandoned Historic at first. It was sort of this weird footnote format that they had no plan for. And then when, uh, you know, the pandemic took over the world and things like Paper and Pioneer uh, had to get a bit of a backseat, uh, all of a sudden Historic was a priority and it's been boosted up to this point where it is the sort of second premiere play format. And, and it has pushed out things like Pioneer and Modern, even though they have an MTGO client, which for many years they have run premiere play events on. Uh, they just choose not to do that. They choose to celebrate this new client and leave the past behind, it seems like. And I, I'm just not a fan of that. I just think the past has so much to to give us, and there's so many people who love it. Um, you know, they, they, they'll always say things like they have to have new players onboarded to ensure the growth of Magic. And I just feel like a lot of the time it has gotten to a point where a lot of the enfranchised longtime players feel like they are getting forgotten and left behind um, by some of the choices. Um, but that's me. You definitely, you, you definitely sound like an old man yelling at clouds right now. I'm not going to lie. Right. And, and that's the thing is like, you know what? You're probably right. You're probably right. Um, I mean, I, I do, I, I do feel that though. I mean, it's just change you know there's been a lot of change recently uh, in magic the gathering especially like you mentioned how interestingly when they made historic in their original 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 announcement they said you know like we envision a format like this was you know like years ago like we envision a format where maybe we can you know add the coolest cards in magic history like brainstorm like they, they the initial one said just like they wanted to add brainstorm so and the fact right. that you know everything is planned years in advance because of how their supply chains work like it does seem like it was, you know, kind of maybe at the beginning they didn't have a direction for historic, but you know, clearly they had this for a while and you know, Wizard is not always great at letting us know what's coming down the pipeline. You know, they just like to surprise us like this. So I while I do agree that it does seem like it was kind of, you know, out of the blue and like that like you said, just like it wasn't intended to be this popular and this big and then once Pioneer, once, you know, online play kind of took over because paper play had to stop that, you know, they kind of did the best that they could. And they just kind of went along with it, which is, I, you know, I agree. I would love to see more stuff uh, like, you know, more modern online tournaments right now, especially for the more competitive ones. But yeah, I think so I do. I agree with that part of your critique. And, you know, just arena, MTG arena is just more sexy and it probably makes wizards more money. And so that's why they push it. And it does feel like, you know, yeah. some franchise players are being pushed out a little bit. Uh, but also, you know, just like Paper Magic is going to start again soon, like gonna, bigger tournaments going to have prize support, you know, like they're kind of the new players are going to kind of be subsidizing the old players, you know, like the funding for the stuff that we want to do is going to come from the new players that are buying and playing Magic Arena. It, it already is, you know, that, that's, the, that's the long and short of it is the new sets have always been funding things like Modern Horizons couldn't have existed without all the new sets having done so well in the last couple of years. Um, and uh, and they, they were, they did have a period where they were really crushing it. I mean... You know, Dominaria through that whole Ravnica year, that 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 was a fantastic era of magic design. Um, anywho, the more pertinent modern issue, if we have to cut it all out except for what this we're, we're saying right now, I think Historic does have one issue, is that it's very hard to parse. Knowing what's in Historic is incredibly yes, uh, hard to process. And um, also it has a bit of a, let's say... Um, 
identity problem. And what I mean by that is they just put in Brainstorm and Inquisition of Kozilek into a format that already had Thoughtseize, but at the same time, they pointedly did not include Lightning Bolt and Swords to Plowshares, and they've previously passed on the opportunity to put Path to Exile in this format. Um, that was with Jumpstart. They, they they already passed on adding Lightning Bolt and Jumpstart, and then they also passed on Path to Exile at that point. And it's just very difficult for me to try to figure out, like, what? How is, how is Lightning? They just put in Natural Order. They didn't put in Lightning Bolt. Natural Order is banned, FYI. That it was not put oh, in. Oh, it is. Yeah. And okay. like I, I had someone, I saw someone with a post about Crater Hoof Behemoth, which is legal in in, in historic. Yes, and, yeah, but uh, no, na- natural, natural order. order is not. You know, it's okay. this is I see this, this discourse actually comes up a lot. You know, just like can't believe I can't believe they didn't put Bolt and Swords, but they have you know Thoughties Inquisition, all this other stuff. I'm happy there's no Bolt, you know, or Swords. Just like those <laughs> cards are obnoxious as hell, and like. I don't know, you know, just if anyone who plays creature decks knows that, like, those cards are obnoxious as hell. You know, like, for instance, you know, Bolt was in the format, like, I would not even try a Lazav deck, like, if Bolt and Swords War, because, like, the, you know, your Kroxa gets exiled, your Lazav is always going to die. Like, those, you know, people, you know, you think that, oh, like, I don't know, just Lightning Bolt, and, you know, the reason that Swords isn't in Modern, like, there's a very good reason why Swords isn't in Modern. Like, those cards are, they're pretty oppressive, you know? They actually, like, sure, Brainstorm, like, oh, but Brainstorm's so powerful. Like, your enablers with Brainstorm are pretty low. You have Fable Passage and then Evolving Wilds. Like, that's not gonna be, like, the nuts, you know? Like, there are gonna be so many people that are gonna Brainstorm lock themselves not knowing what the hell they're doing and putting Brainstorm in without any fetches just because, oh, it's a Brainstorm, it's gotta be good. But like cards like Bolt and Swords, they're just so efficient. You know, they kind of set the bar for what can what creatures are going to live. So I'm totally, you know, the fact that Bolt and Swords aren't in this format makes me want to play it more. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think the upshot of this is while it is very difficult to figure out what's actually in the format, let's be real. Um, I am past the era in my life where I go combing through sets card by card. Uh, I did that when I was younger. All the time. Oh yeah, we I all did. Like look up every every set that was legal in a format, just start combing through it for cards. Um, and the truth of the matter is, that's not how most people learn formats. Uh, I think there's two major ways. One, there's just people who like grab a deck and they sit down and they start playing, and they'll see what's in the format and they'll start figuring it out that way. And then they'll find time in between games to go uh, exploring for other cards they might want to play with. Um, and you see other people play cards, and you go, oh. Oh, that card's legal. I want to play that card, or I want to play that deck, or I want to play that archetype, and then you start exploring that way. Or on the flip side, you start looking up, um, uh, you know, really well uh, tuned decks, and then you start playing with that one. And you, but the, you know, it's a very, very rare that people actually start just going through sets to figure out what's in a format. Um, even standard formats don't have that many cards in them, and sometimes a new set will come out. And a new release will cause some archetype to be viable, and other people will be like, "Wait, you're playing that card? I didn't know that was legal in this format." It's like, yeah, it was. It was one. Of the, it was like a common in in one of the previous sets. Standard only has like 800 cards in it. People still don't process every card that's in a format. So while it's tricky to figure out what's actually in historic, I think myself and some other people kind of overblow how much that's relevant. Um, well. It, it's also, and I'm going to wear half of a tinfoil hat here. Um, it, it is a way to drive people into the arena client, because I 
at least the last time I had checked, Gather did not have an ability to search specifically for historic. Yep, it did um, not. Still doesn't. So, I mean, Scryfall does, and some of the better tools out there do. But uh, at least for me, I used Gather for like two years before I realized Scryfall was just that much better. And, you know, I think that there are probably a fair number of people who just like Google for card names or, or things like that. And Gather is often the first result. And it is a wizard's, you know, run tool. So you would think that it would be sort of best in class. But, um, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like the the inability to easily figure out what is in the format is just another way for them to drive you into the arena client. Yeah, I, well, you know, just like it's really, if you're in franchise on arena, historic is very easy because it's whatever the hell. If you have a card that's in your collection, you can put it in your deck in historic provided it's not banned. Mm-hmm. So like from that aspect mm-hmm. of, you know, from the perspective of an enfranchised arena player, it makes complete sense. From someone, you know, from us, if we do not play Arena, like, it just looks like, what the hell is, what the hell's going on? The anthologies are the thing that makes that the toughest. Because there is a set of sets, um, but then there's these four injections of almost random cards, it feels like. Um, but then, you know, at that point you go, well, there's only four sets of, like, 25. Um so that's it's like basically one other set, the anthology set, which you could look at as like uh, Modern Horizons or or a Masters set. Um, so really, we're all capable of doing this. We're just being sticks in the mud. Fair, fair, and I, mean, I think that's probably you know a good place to end all of our three old men yelling at clouds rants. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And kind of get back, get a little bit back to you know modern and the things that we actually play as opposed to the things that we will play because they're interesting and or cannot afford before we leave gripes with arena you know what really grinds my gears they do a lot of um promos and special frames and things like uh you can get old frame basic lands in arena well, you could if you were playing for that one week period where that was a free promotion that you could do, you could get for like winning two matches with random stipulation deck, and now they're they're gone until they put them back in their online store for like another one week. Yeah, I see. I see. The fingers mean the money, Jiggy. The fingers mean the money for anyone online who who is listening to this and can't see. He's doing the fingers. The fingers that mean the money. I mean, I I get it, but it's just like. That's such a kick in the teeth, man. Like, what the hell? At least with paper and moto, I can, like, I want to play Old Borderlands. Always. I can go buy them. And they're, they're actually pennies. <laughs> in order to, they're sometimes less than a penny. Um, and anyway, just specific gripe with Arena is the way a lot of this cosmetic stuff um, tends to be uh, totally ungettable unless you just happen to be playing on the one week um, where where that was a case. There's a lot of FOMO uh, in the way that they design yep, yep. Magic Arena. They they they're intentionally manufacturing the scarcity um, on a totally other level. But 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 it's just cosmetic. So yep yeah. I mean you know I I agree the FOMO is terrible. But at the same time yeah. you know they're not things that you need. And once again just like the people who can't afford this have no problem buying it, and that in turn subsidizes the whole magic experience for people 
you know, like us who just like, we, you know, maybe we, we spend a fair amount of money, but we don't spend nearly that much money. And like by them spending more money, we're able to spend less money and still be able to do what we want to do. Right. Yeah. I, I think it should not be overstated that um, the average cost of a rare is bottoms compared to what it was when I was coming up, um, which is incredible considering like there's been 15 years of inflation and rares are still like a fifth the price on, on average. Um, just because there's so many more cards out there. Mythic rares, um, though, that's another story. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, let's let's not get this isn't uh, this isn't the MTG Finance podcast. So anyway, what that was? Yeah, that was uh, my my final final gripe on uh, Magic Historic and Magic Arena. Well, maybe by the next time people are listening, uh, we'll have some commentary more on that. But what do you say, Brian? If we go talk about modern. All right, yeah, so uh, this week in Modern, um, or I guess this past two weeks in Modern, so I had the rare opportunity to play a boatload of leagues, at least for me. Um, my in-laws were still in town, so I had some afternoon childcare. I took a couple days off work, and I got to the leagues. Um, and so I had been doing, you know, this uh, this silver gack stuff. I had been, you know, brewing in that space and having a lot of fun. Um, my most recent iteration was splashing black for um, Wishclaw Talisman, and that actually ended up being pretty decent um, overall. I wasn't really feeling like the uh, that the Wishclaw had improved things enough against the fast aggro matchups, though. Um, so I decided to, to put that one on ice for a little bit, but feeling really good with the Wishclaw Talisman, I did drop a couple into an Urza shell, so I uh, decided to run some leagues with the blue-black Wurza brew. Um, uh, I, I had tried Wishclaw in the past in Urza brews, and it it had done pretty well. I had only ever run it as a one of, but in this one, I decided to up it to three so that I could see it more often. Um, I also adopted some of the other sort of silver gack ideas. So I was running two scrap trawler, a walking ballista and a welding jar to recur, um, with the scrap trawler along with aether spell bombs, chromatic star, nile spell bomb, pithing needle, witching well, grinding station, uh, Icker wellspring, four pentad prisms, Fourth Opter Foundry, Two Sword of the Meek, uh, and, and 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 Ensnaring Bridge, along with the Four Urza, Three Fatal Push, and Two War of Invention. Um, so there's a whole smattering of uh, one, you know, ones and twos in there. Um, pretty stock Urza or Wurza build for the most part, minus the Wish Claws. Um, the nice thing about the Wish Claw is that you can activate it, and with the trigger on the stack, you can sack it to the Thopter Foundry or the Grinding Station, and that actually ended up being super relevant. Um, so I will have this full list linked in the episode description, but uh, the long story short, Wish Claw ended up being awesome. Um, the deck overall still felt a little bit clunky online. Um, Grinding station can be uh, a bit of a pain with all the triggers. Uh, the sort of the meek Thopter Foundry combo is a lot of clicks. Um, but that said, you know, it was pretty sweet. Um, the uh, the Wish Claws being able to grab Urza was actually that kind of 
solved a big problem that the deck tends to have, which is I feel like you always have your Thopter Sword combo online, and then you can just never find that Urza. Um, and being able to run Whirr to find the other combo pieces if you do have Urza is super nice. Uh, having the Wish Claws be able to grab anything in your deck really, I felt like, uh, smoothed out a lot of the pain points. Um, I also had included a single Brazen Borrower as a catch-all answer, and being able to find that with the Wish Claw to bounce something like a Rest in Peace or um, a Karn was actually pretty big. That won me a couple of games. Did um, Did you ever do my favorite trick, which is, uh, you know, essentially, you activate Wish Claw, find the Brazen Borrower, then you borrow, then you bounce the Wish Claw back to your hand, so you kind of like get a free ooh, Borrower. That's always fun. Fun. Fun uh, value play. I did not do that one. I did not do that one. I did one time um, wish for uh, the borrower so that I could bounce a rest in peace. Um, unfortunately, you can't wish for a borrower to bounce an opposing Karn. But if you draw the borrower, you can get rid of the Karn. Um, I hate Karn. Just, just note, I, I freaking hate facing Karns. Yeah, I love playing Karn. I hate... Facing card. Amen. Uh, the, the fact they um, they printed a main deckable, constructed, playable, totally doesn't interact with artifacts in any way it ever needs to, but it's it's stony silence. Like, it's just such a kick in the teeth for artifact decks. <laughs> it would be a lot more interesting if it was symmetrical. Yeah, it would also I be agree. A lot worse. Yeah, I would not. Yeah. I would not put it in my decks if it were symmetrical. No, but that's the, right? that's the point. Is that it would be more interesting. But nowhere near as good. <laughs> oh yeah, I agree. You know, yeah. I'm I'm okay with this. Yeah. So, uh, the other big takeaway was that Trawler continued to be awesome. I, you know, Trawler disappeared after KCI. It was in some of the early Wurza lists as a one of. Um, I think it's just underplayed. The fact that you can have an opposing Karn down and still get some value out of your stuff with Trawler. Uh, is pretty nice, although in this particular list, there isn't a whole lot that sacrifices itself um, to, to get back uh, without being able to activate the the artifacts. But, you know, if you splashed into red for a Goblin Engineer, I think there's some pretty big game there. Um, so I took this through three leagues. Uh, I went 1-4, 2-3, 2-3. league actually felt like it was the most winnable. I just was playing at night. Uh, I was pretty tired, made a lot of really awful misplays. Um, the next two leagues, uh, I faced Greentron three times in a row, and that matchup is just absolutely awful. It always has been. Um, if you win against a Tron opponent while you're playing Wurza, like, that's awesome for you. You did a great job. So that was basically an unwinnable league. Like the two three was was good. Uh, next league, I went up against Esper Control three times in a row, and it turns out like blue white control. I feel like you, it's a fifty fifty matchup. Maybe Esper was abysmal between the Esper charms forcing you to discard and the uh, Kaya's guiles. Man, it, it's like they always had it. They always had exactly what they needed right when they needed it, and. You know, Wurza is a deck that typically requires sort of being shut down on two axes. Usually Graveyard Hate on its own isn't enough because you can kind of play around it or like a Stony Silence effect on its own isn't enough. Well, it turns out when you're in the colors that have all of the best hosers for your deck, uh, it's going to be an uphill battle. So that was the other 2-3. 
Um, in general, though, deck felt pretty good. Uh, I will um, have the list linked in the episode description, and I think it's a, a reasonable starting point if you're looking to play a Wurza deck right now. Um, I would probably splash into red for the mentions. I, uh, splash into red for the reasons I had mentioned with Goblin Engineer. Um, it is an additional tutor, but it also can sacrifice the Wishclaw Talisman, and it can get you some value if you're facing down one of those stony effects, and it goes really well with the Scrap Trawlers. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Scrap Trawler. You know, I'm glad that you're exploring with it more and just using it and just kind of seeing what happens. Like, I feel... Yeah, I mean, there's got to be... The card is clearly busted. There's just got to be something. We just, need, we just need more fast mana. That's the huge issue. When I when I play these Urza <laughs> decks, it's just it's so hard, you know, to get that turn three Urza. In addition, if you have the turn yep. three Urza, then you know that means like you've had to sacrifice interaction. Being able to have interaction and a turn three Urza is like near impossible. And because it's near impossible, yep. you you know the deck just you know a lot of times just turn three Urza without interaction just won't get there anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the Pentad Prism for that yep. reason. Being able to go into your turn three with five mana up ostensibly uh is pretty big and often means that you can cast urza and then you still can make a two mana play and you even get um one color other than blue if you play your your pentad prism right um and so in some cases you can actually get a turn three thopter sword combo and things like that but for some of these other cards like the wishclaw talisman just being able to play urza into wishclaw talisman is uh setting yourself up for some pretty great success there I'm a fan of Metallic Rebuke as a main deck uh, interactive piece because it works mm -hmm. uh, with or without Urza basically the same. <laughs> so that's kind yep. of uh, it's kind of important, um, and uh, it gives you uh, an out where you can have sort of one quote mana up um, and stop something like a Karn from coming down. Um, so that's yeah, it's a big deal. Um, it is. Yep. fairly tricky to get an Urza into play and still have the Rebuke up. It just doesn't play that nicely with everything, but you can do it. Um, uh, so I'm happy about that one. And I'm, I'm happy to see your result because you sent me this list, this sort of uh, Urza all combos list, um, and I, I I, did not try it, but uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you found some level of success. I will say somehow... Urza decks that have little to no interactive elements, um, but are more focused on assembling combos, Somet somehow are doing reasonably well. The last one from Archaeus Dota that did very well um, was in that vein. Um, so it's always surprising to me, but I, I, I've played these decks and, and had the reasonable success with them. So I can't I think that they tend to do better in times when Ensnaring Bridge is good. Mm. Um, because that, that tends to be your big interactive piece, I think, a lot of the time. is like if you're facing down a lot of creature decks um, and they can't deal with an ensnaring bridge easily, that's usually enough to buy you the turn or two to find the combo. Um, similarly, you know, Pithing Needle is almost always useful, but not necessarily always good. And then having main deck Nile Spellbomb can really hose some mm -hmm. decks. So, you know, it's not... It's not completely devoid of the interaction, um, but you're right. It, it, it is a very narrowly scoped interaction. The three fatal push also helps a lot. Mm. And, 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 and um, main deck uh, Thopter Sword combo is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that, that can win a whole bunch of games just all on its own. Um, mm -hmm. So 
and it's it's fairly ch cheap to try to resolve it and you always have the uh opportunity for instant speed uh um were to complete your combo so even control decks don't have an easy time against you uh if you have the right setup so um and then we've got jiggy's got a an urza list here that's crazy oh yeah so yeah this is why i also you know i love can't you know i love urza urza's a lot of fun uh so i tried a little bit different take on the list you know esper i think esper is like i think one of the better urza colors what really always intrigues me about esper is that you get you get the doctor sword foundry you also get luris uh but then also i'm a huge fan of tide hollow sculler i'm just like a huge sucker for tide hollow sculler uh, that card is great. Also, being an artifact with Urza, like, and being able to recast with Emery, it's also really, you know, I think those are really powerful. And then, with all this running around, all these red decks and these aggro decks, I was curious about trying the Cat Oven combo. So, this is Cauldron Familiar and Witch's Oven, where you sack, use tap, activate the oven to sacrifice the familiar to make a food, then you sack the food to put the familiar back and drain one, uh, uh, drain one, and you gain one. And it's it's really, it's actually crazy powerful when it's up and running because you can do it at instant speed. So you can actually like kind of just avoid all removal and you can block things and before damage you can flip it out and it, it's really powerful when it gets going. Uh, so for this list I have uh, 60, I have uh, 20 lands uh, including four Glimmer Voids because uh, now my artifact count is quite high and you know, I'm a sucker for Glimmer Void. It, being painless in all colors is just kind of insane, especially when you're running engineered explosives. It's always huge. Uh, yeah, four bobble, four amber, one ee, four familiar, four witch's oven, three unearth, four sculler, one wish claw, three foundry, two sword of the meek, four emery, three luris, and four urza. And you know, glimmer void is always going to get me. Like it's like oh, like you know, I think my artifact count is pretty insane in this one. I think I have nine, thirteen, fifteen. Uh, well, I have like 23 actually, the artifact count, which is pretty insane. But <laughs> sometimes you get those hands where it's just like tripled Limmer Void Witches Oven, like some other nonsense. It's like, well, there's a lot banking on this River Witches Oven staying in play. And sometimes it does. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, your Blue Tron opponent will go turn two, repeal your Witches Oven, end of turn. And you just like lose your board and your mana, which is brutal. Uh, so. You know, it's great when you draw one, and it's okay. This is great, but it's when I get blown out a lot with Limmer Void, which kind of makes me think either <laughs> somehow I need more artifacts, or I should just kind of give up on the card. Uh, but so I took this into two heads-up queues. Uh, I haven't had too much time to play uh, Magic this uh, these past two weeks. I went 0-2. I lost a Blue Red Prowess and Etron. You know, Prowess just they had much better draws than I had, and I never saw Cat Oven either games, and then and. Eldrazi Tron just kind of eats decks like these for breakfast, uh, especially when they just carn your face and they thought not you're your face, they thought not see your face, and you can't, you know, you hold the 23 artifacts that every everything gets shut down by Karn, just especially brutal. And then they just, you know, wish for even bigger things and they just they just wreck me. Uh, so, you know, it's un a little unfortunate. The deck, I just need more. You know, I need to play it more. Uh, you know, Etron, I don't really count that as a as a match that shows what the deck can do because that's just kind of a terrible matchup in general and also having them up uh, you know not seeing the cauldron familiar or the witch's oven combo against fruit blurred prowess but at the same time you know like you're not guaranteed to see it especially if you're dedicating eight slots to it where they both need the other sure you have unearth you know you have some sacrifice things maybe wish talisman but you know overall 
you know, you still have to hit the cars. And if you don't hit the cars, then you just have like fluff running around. Uh, so I, you know, I don't know. I want to mess with this a little bit more. Uh, but in the turns where it does work is sweet. Like oftentimes I'd find, you know, like you could drop Urza and you'd, you know, instantly you'd have like a 3-3 or 4-4 four, four construct on turn 3-4, to four, which was pretty sweet. I don't know where you would fit it in here, but um, one of the cards that I've been really happy with these past two weeks has been Aether Spellbomb. Yep, um, yep. I've had some really explosive Spellbomb turns. Uh, I actually had one with the Wurza list where I bounced Urza to hand and was able to recast it um, like three times in the same turn because of scrap trawler loops and grinding station untapping and Bruh. things like that. So I was just able to make so much mana that That's I got sick. to cast it three times. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing to me is that you could cast a Tide Hollow Scholar and then with the trigger on the stack, bounce it back to hand and do it all over again if you have the mana up for it. So it just enables a lot of um, interesting, I guess, sort of like recasting your own creature spells uh, lines, which yes. may be relevant, maybe not. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, um, That's funny because I was looking interaction. at these Tide Hollow Scholars and I was being like, Unearth slash Emery plus Tide Hollow Scholar plus Sack Outlet sounds like fun to me. Yeah, it is. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, you know, Thopter Foundry being able to sack the Scholar with the trigger on the stack. Same with, you know, Wish Dot. Well, and a Witch's sack. Oven. Yeah, and Witch's Oven. Same with the thing for, like, Wish Lot Talisman too. Like, a nice Sack Outlet. So, you know, in... On paper, I think the deck actually looks pretty good and pretty intriguing, but just, you know, as you play it, it never quite pans out as it looks on paper, at least my decks. Maybe some people are better brewers, but, you know, just like I have these decks that they, you know, they've got some cool synergy pieces, they seem fine. It, you know, Skuller is some interaction, EE is small interaction, you know, like it's not like removal or anything, but they're, it's you know, enough to just kind of knock, maybe knock them off their feet uh, while you kind of assemble your combo, just kind of outvalue them. But this rarely comes to happen. You know, I just normally get thwomped. Yeah. <laughs> Feel yeah. that. I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, ah, oh, Cauldron Familiar plus Witch's Oven. Like, that looks like, on its own, that could put you in a reasonable position against Burn. And it's like, yep, yeah, sure could. Blue Red Prowess, on the other hand, has a bunch of flyers. Yep. Um, it's a lot harder to deal with. Um, yeah. Thopters can fly. Yeah, that's true. If, if you can get them out. Yeah, but, if you survive. Just yeah. on just I I hate Blue Prowess. Just always wrecks me. You know, it's just like and even I don't feel so bad though, because I you watch Spike stream and like Spike will play against Blue Red Prowess and you know, oftentimes just like he'll get wrecked by it and he, the whole time he's saying like, Man, Blue Red Prowess is such a good deck. Like, I can't believe this is such a good deck. Like it looked like he's got the game locked up and they'll top deck something like Mana Morphose into the thing into like a dart into a, another creature and it's just like the game went from locked up to now you're going to die next turn uh so you know it always yeah, they've got a yeah. lava dart in their graveyard and then they top deck a light up the stage it's like oh no here oh, we go again yeah yeah you know it's it makes me feel good when i see better players get thwomped by the decks that thwomp me because it makes me feel like i'm not alone it's <laughs> i'm not the only one trying to fight this uphill battle and you know push this boulder uphill we got a lot of people trying to push boulders uphill uh while this little blue red prowess devil is on our back and jumping on our backs yeah well and and getting thwomped uh led me to some interesting choices uh after the urza decks so i ended up playing three more leagues Ooh, um, damn! So you went, you went all out. I, my goal was to get to ten leagues before the in-laws left. Uh, I didn't quite make it, but I did get through six 
Um, and so the other three leagues were Blue Black Mill. And I'm going to kind of skip over the details of this one because we are running long already. Um, but Mill is actually a surprisingly sweet deck. It turns out I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. kind of scratches that uh, control itch while also having a very proactive um, and very strong game plan, particularly against the Heliod matchup. And uh, a lot of decks really um, just don't have sideboard tech for Mill right now. Um, shout out to Pyganti, took his uh, 5-0 list and uh, ended up getting a bunch of uh, 3-1s and a 4-1. Um, so the TLDR here is that I think that Mesmeric Orb and Hedron Crab are very interesting cards. I like the idea that they can be symmetrical um, and just kind of throwing this out there to, to marinate in the ether a little bit. But I would like to see if we can come up with a way to utilize the Mesmeric Orb, maybe. Um, I think that the self-mill being relevant and then uh, potentially being able to turn that on the opponent if you know that is a, a viable way to get a win could be interesting. Um, and I know that you've used the Hedron Crab in the past, Arun. What did you think of it at... I think you were jamming it in some of your uh, grinding breach lists. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Crab is sweet. No, Crab is definitely a busted card. The fact that the Legacy Hogak deck still plays Rafor Crab uh, is definitely a sign that Crab is pretty pretty messed up in general. Um, you know, I love Crab, but my, my one qualm with Crab is you put Crab in your deck, you know, unless you're actually... If you're using Crab to mill yourself, just like you now, you're... You're saying I'm not going to play fair, you know, like it puts you all in on the I'm going to fill my graveyard and do shenanigans, which is great. You know, it's great to have such a powerful enabler, but you do lose a lot of flexibility in that. Like now you're dedicated to the graveyard like you don't if you're going to only, you know, kind of play like half graveyard synergy. I don't think crab is the card for you. It's just so efficient and so powerful in what it does, especially when you have that starts to like turn one crab, turn two fetch, turn three fetch. You know, you put like 12 cards in your yard already by turn three, in addition to whatever else you were doing when you weren't playing Crab. Uh, so it's, yeah, you know, I love Crab as a thing, but Mesmeric Orb, you know, that seems much slower than Crab. Like, I don't see, if you oh, yeah. want to mill yourself, I don't think Mesmeric Orb is the answer. But I do, you know, maybe, maybe I just have to go back to grind, maybe I just have to go back to super degen mode, and, you know, like, sure, like, we'll... We'll fold to graveyard hate, whatever. Rest in peace can beat me, but like if they don't have the rest in peace, you just kind of run them over. Maybe that's what we have to do at this point. Like, just go for those well, high risk, high reward style plays. So this is where I'm interested in utilizing the crab maybe in game one to mill yourself, but then in game two, if they bring in the rest in peace, having a way to viably pivot into milling them, because the rest in peace isn't gonna stop you from milling them out and. Um, and this is, you know, I, I don't know if there is a viable deck here. If there was, maybe somebody would have already come up with it. I just like the idea that you can perhaps, you know, be super degen in game one and then in game two, it's just like, you know what? No, no, we're actually going to mill you now and all your graveyard hate is actually worth I mean, it. So good luck. The closest thing to this was the weird self-mill deck by Just Burn 420. That what did they do? They milled themselves oh, yeah. to do something. Storm Herald. Yeah, for Storm Herald, and then they like with glimpses, yeah, and yeah. they had like archive traps and stuff in their sideboard to switch over to mill. So you know, it clearly someone can five zero with it. So it, it is a sweet idea, and you know, probably can be done. Uh, but it's not. It doesn't sound particularly interesting to me. But that's just me. You know, like if I would definitely look at that list, and if you want to pursue something like that, you know, clearly it seems like it could be possible. Or at least there could be something there to start with. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'll uh, I'll let it marinate in the ether here, and maybe we'll come back to it. Maybe we'll come up with something one day. Yeah. I mean, you know, the things are like, ideally, like when I was playing crab, you know, you you love the turn one crab, turn two fetch, you get to mill six, then you get to unearth, you like a lurus or something, and you're like off to the races. That is, you know, I think that would be one of the better uses for crab. And kind of makes yeah, me want to sure. run crab again, you know, just, just, you know, sometimes it's like when I get really frustrated, I used to jam Neo, Neo brand and just be just like, screw you all. Just like, screw you, Blue Red Prowess, <laughs> like go to hell. And, you know, maybe it's just same thing. Like now, a little unhappy, not really enjoying the format as much. Like, don't feel like my, you know, the kind of decks that I like are super viable. Let's just go full degen and see what happens. You know, worst case scenario, I, at least, at least for me, I seem to feel less bad when I lose if, you know, like I'm playing a high variance deck where like, you know, you don't, if you're playing Neo Brand, you don't get to complain. Like if you complain while you're playing Neo Brand, like you are, <laughs> you know, you're doing it wrong. Like, you know, that, that there's no justification for complaining about your luck when you're playing Neo Brand. So similarly, you know, like just go all in on one of these, like maybe just a breach that just kills turn two, turn three, and just, you know, with crabs and other nonsense. And, you know, if they have the rip, they have the rip and good for them. And, you know, you can't, like, for me, I don't feel bad when I lose with those decks because it's like, you know, like, this is this is what I plan to do. You know, it's not like... Yeah, this like, is what you came here for. Yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not trying to play some interactive magic right now, you know. I'm just trying to do my thing. And, you know, if you can stop from doing your, my thing, good for you. But, like, you know, like, once again, just, like, no right to complain. And because there's, at least I feel like there's no right to complain. And because I don't have no right to complain, there's money less feel-bads. Yeah. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Well... So the, with with this crab in mind and casting a bunch of stuff from the graveyard and doing your own thing, can I interest you in the Monastery Mentor? You know, after all of these leagues with Wurza and Mill and whatnot, I started to wonder if maybe now is the time for a mentor to make a return to the limelight. Um, a lot of the decks out there, at least according to Goldfish, are pretty mid-rangey, uh, large amount of Jund, Control, Stoneblade-style decks hanging around, and... That seems like a pretty good time to be slamming threat after threat and forcing the opponent to, to continue to answer. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it feels bad having your your Monastery Mentor, you know, Fatal Pushed by Jund. Um, but if you just fill your deck with enough of them and some Unearths and all the other stuff, they can only remove so many cards before they run out of gas. Um and, you know, being in white gives us some pretty decent options for fighting Heliod. There are some, you know, exile uh, target uh, enchantment type spells that can get rid of that. Although, um, you know, they can kind of gain life uh, in response to your cast if they have the, the combo online. Um, but, you know, that's what Pithing Needle's for. We can stop their spike feeders. Uh, and there's also some decent life gain against burn. And I've actually seen a lot more burn recently than I have mm -hmm. prowess. So I, it feels a little bit like prowess might be on the decline, which I am a okay with. Um, well, you know, yeah, I don't know. How do you, you, you don't have, you don't have to try too hard to get me interested in mentor, you know, every, I uh, just no better feeling than like turn to mentor, bobble, bobble. And you're just like, wow, look at my board. I'm going to kill you in two turns, which is sweet. Uh, yeah, you know, I love this idea of, of returning to Mentor. Esper colors, you know, like the classic Mentor shell. I still, you know, the Esper Arayo Mentor list that was going around a while ago, I'm, you know, I'm still pretty confident that Arayo was the worst part of that actual deck. And they were also think only running one Luris. And as, you know, Zach has, as Zach has kind of figured out, or kind of, as Zach has alerted me to when playing these decks, the best, 
you know, the best interaction, the best starts for these decks are when you unearth a lurch with a bunch of stuff in your yard. Like, that's, like, unearth lurch on turn one or turn two, and just, like, you play a bobble, and, like, you're, you're going to town. Those starts are just so strong. Uh, so I do, you know, so there is yeah. that kind of thing. The... You know, I guess I have a list here kind of to start that I'm kind of curious about. I mean, it needs, I'm going to ignore the mana base because I have four Glimmer Voids and clearly my artifact count is not uh, not up to par for Glimmer Void. You know, like something like four Bobble, four Amber, three Thought Scour, three Inquisition, four Unearth, four Snappy, four Bob, four Mentor, four Emery, three Luris, four Repeal, and two EE. And, you know, the you kind of get tricky things like when you combine Emery, Mentor, uh, you know, like Emery, Mentor, Snapcaster Mage, and Luris, where Snapcaster Mage is really good with Mentor, but, you know, it's not really great with Emery because Snapcaster wants you to run instants and Emery wants you to run artifacts. But there's cards like Thought Scour that kind of bridge the gap between them, where Thought Scour is good with Snap and good with Emery. Uh, so things like that. So this is, you know, probably... I just need to jump into a league and try this. Uh, and the other thing that I want to mention, and we did a small league... We started a league with this too... Uh, is the Bant Mentor deck, where this is one of my first trophies with just, you know, Stoneforge Mystic, uh, Uro, Emery, Kinnon Shell, along with Mentor, uh, and uh, Utopia Sprawl. Uh, you know, it felt amazing. Uh, constantly felt like one of my stronger brews. But like we've said a couple times, <laughs> Teferi, Utopia Sprawl, Emery, Uro, Mentor, Stoneforge Mystic. It's just like Bant good cards. Uh, so no surprise that it'd be kind of busted. They did ban Uro, which really, you know... <laughs> we just talked about quite unfortunate and like you know big hit to the aggro matchup but something that kind of intrigues me is that whenever i play these kinnon <laughs> these kinnon piles my opponent's goifs are always freaking enormous you know just like john plays a turn two <laughs> goif and it's like a five six and he's just like holy crap like what the hell and you know now we don't now we no longer have Earl to shrink our enemies goif which makes it even more trouble but like you know, what if we replaced Aura with Goyf? You know, Goyf is great again. Goyf is amazing against Burn, especially if it's big. You know, we fill up our graveyard a lot. Uh, it stonewalls aggro. Uh, it wears a sword really well. We've got the SFM package, and then the one other thing that I'm kind of curious about is Traverse in these decks, where we hit Delirium really quickly and really yeah. easily. Uh, you know, Traverse finding Mentor is pretty sweet. This way we can even maybe cut down on the Kinnons, go down to one or two Kinnons, because if we can Traverse for it, uh, you know, find a Mentor, maybe even cards like Brazen Borrow or Lovestruck Beast, where you can, like, Traverse and then into Lovestruck Beast, make a token, like, you use the Adventure side, trigger Mentor. Lovestruck Beast, actually not terrible with Mentor, because you're probably always going to have a 1-1 one -one around. And even if you cast a Prowl, even if you cast a spell that triggers Mentor and makes everything else 2-2s, two you can stack the you know the trigger stack so that you still get a one one regardless. Uh, so like your love stack breach can still attack. So this is, you know, kind of interesting to me and something that I wanna I wanna mess with too. You know the other yeah. So I think this bent mentor seems pretty pretty cool. You know we did I took this into a league with Brian real briefly. Uh, I wound up going o two and then I disconnected my third match after being up one. Uh, and I couldn't get back on Magic Online, so I wound up losing that. I did get a comp, though, which was pretty sweet. Uh, but I would, it felt... I think we faced a... What was it? Some, like, Naya nonsense Urian list, and we took game one. Uh, yeah. Game two, we got mana screwed, and game three, we got Blood Moon on turn two. Uh, so yep. we we could have fetched around it, but we're just not... I mean, I wasn't expecting the Blood Moon. I should have. Uh, but, you know, game one, they had one basic land. But that's how it goes. Uh, and then we lost to Jund... 
uh, where game one was just pretty close, but they just kind of outdrew. In game two, we were up really far ahead, and we had a point where they killed we Emery and with Manamo and had a bobble. So we got like three bobble triggers. They killed the Emery, and then the next five draws were lands, and that was that was pretty yep. brutal. But it. You know, the other thing is when you face Junt is that their Goifs also get the benefit from your Goifs being huge. So you kind of get like this Goif stonewall battle. Uh, but, you know, it did, you know, I love, I love Mentor. And so I think I'm definitely, you know, I think the Bant Mentor list seems more intriguing than the Esper to me. Though if I can find time, I'll definitely try the Esper. Yeah, I have, I'm just going to kind of shotgun out some ideas here. I've actually been, um, I started a little bit early and uh, started messing with some stuff. Um, and so the idea initially for me was that maybe we just drop Mentor into one of these silver gak shells. They're really good at going off and just casting a ton of stuff. Um, and so maybe we just splash white, throw it in, see how it goes. Uh, I don't know that it's entirely necessary, but at the very least we could draw some inspiration from those lists, um, possibly trying the cost reducer like Semblance Anvil to allow you to go off, maybe the Scrap Trawlers to give you the ability to cantrip through your deck and keep casting stuff over and over. Um, and, uh, along with that, I also started to look into some other, maybe a little bit weirder things. Um, so Wishclaw Talisman to be able to fetch the mentor or, uh, whatever you need, including, uh, and not limited to a Bolus's Citadel. Uh, so I did end up last night playing some games with, uh, a list that included Bolus's Citadel, Mentor, Wishclaw Talisman, Lotus Bloom, um, <laughs> Bloom. Repeal, That's deep. Paradoxical Outcome. Um, Can I see this, this list? This was just like I, a, a, I, I would a need who's to see the of... best of Brian's pet cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this, I don't know. You haven't, I'm a little... I don't know. This sounds intriguing, but like I've, as someone who has tried to put a whole bunch of terrible pet cards together <laughs> into a deck, even though it was a high synergy deck, I've I've been quite disappointed with the results. So my initial thought of getting mentor into some of, one of these uh, silver gak lists was as you know a very light splash of color, either in mono white or blue white. Um, into what was otherwise a mono gray deck with the uh, crazy super ultra mystic forge kind of construction um, but that does not that doesn't entirely sound like the what you're looking for here right uh no because that deck just is consistently like a turn too slow is is the issue right and right. so if we could get the mentor down maybe a turn earlier or go off a turn earlier, like if we could go off on turn two or even start going off, even if it fizzled eventually, that would probably be acceptable. But right now, I think the soonest you could hope to kind of go off is on turn three. Um, and it would need some really clever construction and you would need everything to kind of come together to be able to like truly go off on turn three. Um, because you would want a cost reducer, probably Semblance Anvil, exiling your um, Scrap Trawler so that you could get a cost reduction on both Mentor and Artifacts so that you could cast the Mentor and also start chaining off with Artifacts and Mystic Forge. And yep. there's just a lot of moving pieces Colossus there. is also an Artifact creature. Yes. If you have a redundant one. Um, so yeah, th I mean, there's up to like seven or eight artifact creatures in the deck that do allow for that. Um, but then you also have to draw one of your three or four mentors and you have to have a way to generate white mana and the best ways that those decks were functioning were, was with Tron. So it's definitely like, 
definitely tricky. So I'm glad that you're pushing in a direction different from what I would want to do because I think that that silver, silver Gak core is the best version of the deck we've found so far. But in order to find something better, we're going to need to get more distant from that than I would want to as a, as an instinct. Like we really have to make a, a bold move and just like be like, okay, Mystic Forge is not what we're doing anymore. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think that there's... Okay, so in all of the things that I tried, they were not good together, which I kind of knew going in, but I wanted to see how certain things felt. Um, I think that there is probably a way to go with Paradoxical Outcome that works out. Uh, the issue with Paradoxical Outcome is that you either want a bunch of free spells, which are terrible on their own, or you want um, a way to go up on mana as you're, you're doing this. So um, possibly a Kinnon Shell where some of your, you know things can produce excess mana with Kinnon or something along those lines. Uh, the other avenue is go towards the graveyard. So the Lotus Blooms are great with something like Dance of the Mance, which can bring back two or three of them for a pretty reasonable cost, but it's bad with Paradoxical Outcome. Um, Lotus Bloom, also very good with Bolus's Citadel um, because it can cast them. So, you know, there's maybe something there, my biggest fear, my biggest issue with Citadel was that as you're chaining through your deck to cast all these spells, if they're not zero CMC spells, you're killing yourself. And then you have to pass turn with a board full of tokens, hope that they don't die, and then get the turn back, chain off again, not kill yourself so that you can swing for lethal. So there's definitely some hurdles to overcome here, but I think that there's um, quite a few different avenues to pursue to, to make it good. Yeah, I, I like the Bolus of Citadel aspect. You know, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but in some of the original Kinnon lists, I was messing with a Bolus of Citadel uh, when Mentor, like in some of the four-color shells. It was really good. You know, just like, I mean, it, Citadel does get <laughs> countered and, you know, a lot, and it, it's pretty difficult to resolve because, <laughs> wee wee huge, you know, like no one no one saying in their mind is going to let you resolve a Bolus of Citadel, and it gets tagged by Force of Negation for free and, like, all that nonsense. But the several times I've gotten it down, I think actually I've gotten it down three times, and I've won all three times. Uh, and, you know, either sometimes I have the mentor down, and other times, you know, it finds me a mentor. But it it was silly, and it's crazy powerful. And you know, like I don't, I don't think you really have to take too much into consideration. You know, just like just the way that these decks are built. Yeah, I mean, you might have to cut back on unearths because you might not have targets, etc. But if you have Citadel and Mentor in your deck, you know, like you will, you will probably win. And oftentimes too, just like sometimes they're low enough with just how much you've been doing that you can just kind of storm off with Citadel and Mentor. You create enough tokens, you can just activate Citadel and just kill them on the spot for the ten. It doesn't gain you the life, which mm -hmm. is unfortunate. But I've definitely done that a couple of times where they've been low enough that you just hit them. So that yeah, Citadel is a good call, and I should, I kind of want to work on a list like that too. Well, I wonder if it makes sense. Um, you know, we can also look at things like Future Sight or, or some of the, the other ways of playing off the top of your deck. I don't think that they're quite as good as Citadel mm -hmm. uh, because you have to spend mana for them or, um, you know, they don't have a built-in win con like Citadel does. But, you know, uh, definitely something to consider. I, I don't know. I think that we have a lot of... Uh, avenues to pursue here though. yeah and i am really interested in playing some old border repeals Woo! and some or old border uh paradoxical outcomes 
which are also really good with Wishclaw Talisman. Uh, I did have a couple of games last night. I had uh, a paradoxical outcome in response to a Wishclaw activation, and my opponent scooped. Uh, <laughs> I also had a repeal in response to a Wishclaw activation, which was pretty solid. Um, it is a little mana intensive, but... Uh, you know, getting to tutor and then getting that tutor right back into your hand is pretty sweet. Yeah, I like this. So, what about you've been a little quiet, Zach? A little. <laughs> what about so? What are your What are your thoughts on mentor? What are you looking forward to pursuing? I don't know. <laughs> I um. Yeah, I don't know. It's got to have unearth, um, or maybe paradoxical outcome i just don't know maybe there's some kind of urza mentor paradoxical outcome deck that i that i might want to try out um it could be esper if it's esper then you get to play things like wishclaw with the outcome as brian was just mentioning that that interaction seems pretty cool um yeah i, 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 <laughs> I just have no idea how this is supposed to actually work uh, for lack of better word um, maybe that you know Esper Green with uh, uh, Traverse the Ulvenwald and things of that nature um, I'm just not sure there's just so so many things but um, and potentially there's some kind of uh, Jeskai Ascendancy combo um Oh yeah, we haven't even messed mentor. with Jack. Yeah, I like I like uh, I like the idea of of getting jacked. Um, and maybe now that that deck, um, there was a previous successful version that had uh, Underworld Breach and Grinding Station. Uh, I think it was playing Mentor as well as Emery. Um, some combination of all those cards. So I might have to look into that to see what was going on with that. Um, I. Yeah, I think I think if I had to start anywhere, it might be something like this Esper Mentor deck that has been listed here with the Dark Confidants and the Snapcaster Mages, with the idea being that this looks like a very streamlined version of the Ereo deck without mm -hmm. Ereos. Um, however, I don't really understand what the Repeals are doing in this deck, if that's the case, because Repeal was basically just there to enable Ereo. I mean, not just there, but that, that was like some of the biggest value. I, I do understand it goes off with Mentor pretty hard. Um, but I don't know. I'm not sure that that's the right place to be, but I, I think this is the first one I go kick the tires on and see if, if this has any, any legs. Um, Dark Confidant with 11 three drops. I'm a little bit nervous about, yeah, especially those... <laughs> in a deck that already has quite a lot of card advantage available to it. Um, those bobs might... What Maybe let's just Jace, uh, something like two or three Jace Friends Prodigies. There's also Turn On Mox Amber, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, at it's that point, you're also getting to a place where maybe you could play um, Goryo's Vengeance um, with something else. Maybe um, uh, Ghost Dad, uh, Ghost Council of Vortova. Yeah, mod the card. modify the, oh. what was it? I forget the name of that. Oh, Esper Goryo's. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you've got Emery as a way to mill it into your graveyard, um, and uh, and Jace works. Jace Rinse Prodigy works well with both um, Goryos and Luris and Unearth. Mm -hmm. 
so then you get a kind of synergistic angle on that side. I'd like the idea of the Snapcaster Mages with the repeals with the Monastery Mentors. That seems like you could get a really goofy amount of power into play on like turn three or four. Yeah, um, I think I think if Bob is, you know, maybe swap out three Bobs for a Jace and then for Jaces and then come up with one. You know, I'm I'm not opposed to Fibblethip. I know a lot of people are, but I think Fibblethip is hilarious. Oh, Fibblethip's adorable. Sweet. Also, old border. Oh yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it just works with your Mox Amber. So, um, yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, so, something in this style of deck probably probably the right place to start for me. Um, Thought Scour seems good. Um, Maybe we can get some Tide Hollow Scullers in here too. Uh, perhaps instead of the Dark Confident, I'm not sure. Uh, Pushes to as... a couple push. Yeah, it's not as appealing when you don't have easy ways to sacrifice it. Um, well, the repeal at least can bounce. Yes, it. yeah, that, that that was something I was looking at and I wanted to mention. So that is a thing you can do. Although that's a lot more expensive than most of the ways you could sacrifice the Sculler. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Sculler won't trigger the monastery mentor um so that you, you know if you're if you're bringing that back with emery and you do have a mentor you're foregoing a trigger maybe that doesn't matter yeah i like the idea of using snapcaster mage in this deck though with all the cheap spells snapcaster mage in inquisition decks always makes me kind of happy yeah yeah you're, you're making me want to play this deck now with a couple modifications yeah, I, I think I think this is where I want to start. The more I'm looking at it, this 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 has some some promise. Um, and then I I really want to revisit some variety of the Silvergack list, but I I don't know why or which one because that it was such a sweet concept when we had that going. Um, I, I don't even think I want to work a mentor into it. I just uh, that was such a such a novel thing, but uh, it's such. Well, the blacklist so... was feeling pretty solid with the wish clause. Uh, I I think that was actually a pretty good addition. And and uh, still with the grinding station, still with the mystic forge. Yeah, right, yeah. I gotta check it that was... one out then. Just four swamps and some talisman of dominance to be able to cast the cast the wish claw, and uh, it was pretty rare that I didn't have a way to sacrifice it. Just you know that that deck gets so much material on board so fast. You usually always have a grinding station for it. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we are running pretty long this time. Zach, you want to? Uh close this out here oh baby it's time for a little more bumps and dumps uh. I'll, I'll just i'll just start off with i i can't stop having the biggest stupidest smile on my face about uh time spiral remastered cards in the old border um, <laughs> all i need to know is where and how do we get more old border cards uh, released again? Um, if and when do we get an entire set of these or just a return to that being the standard? Um, obviously, that's never going to happen. But <laughs> these are the things that I want. Um, also, random uh, big bump to, uh, for, to DC um, Comics for putting out some non-terrible movies over the last little while. I watched the the Snyder cut of Justice League, and that was pretty damn good. That inspired me to actually go and watch Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984, and those both were great. Um, obviously, there's some uh, criticism of her Gal Gadot for whatever. Um, 
Uh, my my biggest criticism is she's hashtag not my Wonder Woman just because she's uh, she's very she's very lithe she's very small boned um, obviously very athletic but uh, I, I uh, when I was growing up Wonder Woman in the in the 90s was a little bit a uh, little bit chunkier a little bit thicker uh, through the through the middle she looked like a, a bodybuilder you know when you watch the Olympics. Um, you know, there's all different sizes of athletes, and I always, in my mind, uh, Wonder Woman didn't look like a sprinter. You know, she she looked like a weightlifter a little bit more. Um, so <laughs> there's my really really nerdy segue. Nice. nice. How about you, Arun? Uh, let's see. Well, uh, probably biggest bumps to Peloton. Uh, you know, we got one recently, and it is pretty sweet. You know, just like you know, oh, you only have working for 20 minutes a day, but you getting to the gym, getting back from the gym, you know, everything that entails, it winds up taking an extra 30, 40 minutes. And now all of a sudden your 20 minute workout becomes an hour plus, uh, along with travel time and all this other stuff. And just having it, you know, we have a small apartment. It fits in the apartment very well. I've been able to, you know, to work out daily, which is pretty nice. And yeah, it's been, you know, I've actually really enjoyed it. The classes are good. They're super entertaining. The, you know, it feels like you're actually there for me at least. And also for my fiance, it's very motivating. Like, you know, sometimes like, there are these like there are concepts like this pelotons where you take these online classes or like we'll try and take a youtube like watch some uh watch a fitness class on youtube and follow along and it's hard to stay consistent with that but the peloton for all probably just you know a whole bunch of reasons like a whole bunch of small attention to you know small attention to a whole bunch of details this overall makes it a really 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 great experience uh, so i've really been uh you know huge bumps to peloton it's a lot of fun uh also uh, bumps to seven point Highlander, a uh, little uh, Highlander format. I just love Highlander formats because the power level is scaled down. I would highly recommend everyone check out seven point Highlander. You know, like there's Highlander formats are great because any deck, you know, any deck is kind of viable and, and is and is at least tier two because everything is kind of power scaled equivalently. Where you know, like you only like other thing is pointed, so like you get seven points, but recall is five points. If you want to play recall, you know you don't get other things. Where like Oko is two points, so you can play Oko and some other things, and because of that, it's just you fairly power balanced. You know, only getting one of all the cantrips, still having to you know the white weenie decks play Savannah Alliance. So that kind of tells you about you know just like kind of what the format is, and I've been really enjoying it, and would highly recommend it to other people. I'm a huge fan of Highlander formats. Um in when I've played them, just because you get so many um, varieties in games. Yep. It's super, super interesting. Uh, and there's usually not enough uh, um, tutor effects that you can constantly um, be able to generate consistent game states. And and I like that. It, it's like um, it's like a souped-up version of Cube, or it's like you, you, you're playing like a, a limited format, like a, like a cube that's very high-powered, but you always get to play the kind of deck you want to. Yeah, because um, with limited formats, obviously, there's a lot of hit and miss, you know, oh, if only I had gotten this card, my deck would be so much more, you know, but you, you get to control that. Anyway, sorry. And uh, yep. <laughs> Brian, uh, I will give big bumps to strawberries. I planted some strawberries this past Woo-hoo! week and um, already harvested my first tiny tiny strawberry it was not particularly good but uh, i didn't have high hopes you know it the, i bought the plant it already had some that were starting to turn ripe and uh over the days it got very red and so i just i, I plucked it off and i ate it and um yeah it's it's that's exciting it's exciting got a small garden going june baby june that's when the good strawberries happen 
Perfect. Uh, June is coming, and I will be prepared for it. You can even that, grow things like that in the uh, tundra of Canada. Ooh, a, I know strawberries. Very are hearty cool. plant or vegetable. Yeah, or, or fruit. Vine. <laughs> uh, the other interesting thing about strawberries, at least um, I was told this. I don't know if this is actually true. I hope it is because I'm going to pass it along. But uh, strawberries are the only fruit that looks like strawberries. And so if you see strawberries in the wild, they are safe to eat because it is the only thing that actually looks like that. Whereas there are other berries out there that you could uh, conceivably confuse and kill yourself with. These are not among those. Uh, uh, G, you're, you're a biologist. Any uh, input on the uh, <laughs> strawberry appearances? I mean, I buy it, you know, like it's wild like you know these strawberries are just bred just like kind of anything else we domesticate are where the wild ones were small and not super tasty and we made them fat and very tasty actually we crossed them with chilean ones to make them fat and very tasty uh but the you know the one thing is that if you find strawberries in the wild they're not super delicious you know like it's maybe you'll get no, lucky and find the alpine but a lot of the wild ones the ones the ones that are like little spheres are not very tasty if you can find the ones that look like mini strawberries those are great and those are you know actually the ones that started in europe uh but they're not super high yield that's fair i i did just quickly look up and there is something called an <laughs> imposter strawberry oh no but i don't think it looks like a strawberry oh okay it, it, it's, it's like <laughs> um, it's red and round and berry ish but it it doesn't resemble a strawberry in the same way so Whew. there you go okay so quick googling safe to everybody is safe strawberry yep. facts for your day yeah all right, everybody. Well, uh, have a good one and um, burn some tickets. Hell yeah. Time. Go go forth and acquire uh, alternate art in alternate frame and play it in whatever format you like. <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode 15 of the Serum Visions podcast. If you like what we do and want to get in touch with us, you can find us at twitter.com slash serumvisionsmtg, email us at serumvisionspod at gmail.com, or join us on Discord at the link in the episode description of your podcast player or on serumvisions.podbean.com. I'm a huge <coughs> fan of, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> dying. <coughs> there we go.